is no better place. It's time to talk. The only way to get anything done in Cork is to go on to the Neil Prenderville. Fair play. Talk to Neil Prenderville. That's, that's a Cork threat at this stage, I think. <laughs> the Neil Prenderville Show on Red FM. I just love Cork people. Conversation that matters. Get involved in the conversation. The Neil Prenderville Show daily with Mercedes-Benz Cork. Michael D. Higgins was taken to hospital yesterday. and The president uh, remained in hospital overnight. And the latest update on that, because it makes the front page of many of the papers, including the red tops that say ambulance takes Higgins from the Auris. He's 82 years old now. He was kept overnight after a health scare. He's being assessed and the statement this morning is that the president will remain in hospital, but he is in excellent spirits thanks to the great care that he's getting. So it's a headline in many of the front pages today and we, we wish him well. Obviously we do, the president of Ireland. Many of the papers this morning talk of uh, Gaza. Uh, the examiner carry it on their front page, the mirror on the inside pages. Um, the reasons why uh, there's been a claim and of course like with everything counterclaim but to Gaza health authorities are now saying that over a hundred Palestinians were shot dead by Israeli forces they were waiting for an aid delivery yesterday of food and water and medicine and things like that they say that 112 people were killed and over 280 wounded in the incident near Gaza City the death toll now in the last five months of the war has passed 30,000 now Israeli officials are saying this is not true. They claim that many of the victims were run over by the aid trucks. Um, the story is picked up in the mirror this morning, where they and, and that death toll is accurate. Uh, and to you know, give you a breakdown of that, um, Palestinian death toll now stands at over thirty thousand, with seventy over seventy thousand wounded. And the Hamas attack on Israel that ignited the war killed twelve hundred, and of course the militant Hamas rebels took two hundred. And 50 hostages. But this latest story or this latest tragedy is just absolutely awful um, that people would be shot dead uh, by soldiers as they wait to get food because you talk about the mass movement of an entire population, you talk about the claims of genocide. There is clearly famine now in, in, in Gaza. Um, without a doubt, the UN is reporting that a quarter, at least a quarter of those in Gaza are now facing and in the midst of famine and starvation. And this latest one, this latest story of these shootings um, is just slaughter, really, when you look at it. Um, of course, Israel denies it. But I wonder, will we ever look at Israel the same way again? It's awfully, awfully sad. Uh, meanwhile, here on the front page of this morning's Independent, one of the probably the biggest, one of the biggest, if not the biggest ticket item in the upcoming general election, which um, which must happen by this time next year. We'll be in the, either it'll be over or we'll be in the midst of a general election campaign. But I imagine front and centre in this will be immigration. And the Independent says that immigration now uh, is moving centre stage in the upcoming election debates that will follow probably across the autumn, maybe the summer and maybe an autumn election. Who knows when they'll call it. Uh, but years and years ago, it would have been emigration. Now it's immigration. And Fianna Fáil now apparently are hunkering down coming up with a plan uh, to deal with this big ticket item to win the next general election. While the examiner this morning talks of uh, their plan in dealing with the amount of refugees, asylum seekers, people fleeing war, international protection order people uh, who are coming into this country and where we're going to put them. Um, They continue uh, to try and figure out ways to find places for people to live and to stay. Um, Because 
nothing has changed. Our, our borders are, are still there, for sure they are, but we will continue to welcome the amounts of numbers that we have been welcoming in the past. But yet the... There's nowhere, there's nowhere for, there's nowhere for them to uh, to live, and and of course there's many other strains then on uh, on Irish infrastructure. Where there's not just housing, there are a lot of others usually like that. But they're coming up now with the plan that they're going to buy um, empty buildings, and they're going to also use more prefabs in the coming months. And this is what they're going to do: convert empty buildings. So it will involve the state using, leasing, and buying empty properties, along with increasing the use of prefabs and marquee style units on state land. So a marquee style unit is just a posh way of saying big tents. That's a front pager making the examiner today. And you'll recall the story uh, from North Cork. This is the former Cork B&B up in Formoy. And there was a lot of rallies and a lot of protests because people in that area did not want international asylum seeking um, protection order men. And there was 56 single men uh, proposed to go into the North Cork B&B. And it led to a lot of protests and rallies. Now that's been changed, as you know, and the bed and breakfast will now be used for accommodating families and children instead. So that's the story from The Echo today. And there was a story going around during the week. um, And the Guardian are investigating because it's fake news. It was a false claim uh, that a migrant child had been abused, sexually abused, uh, that the child was sexually abused by migrants at uh, an accommodation centre up the country. Uh, the Guardian of Command said that this is untrue, this online allegation. It actually led then to a lot of protesting and people getting very angry um, because of it uh, up the country at a particular um, accommodation centre. So Guardia are invest- investigating now these failed false online online claims. It's a difficult thing to be able to do though to investigate stuff that live in an online world but unless, you know, well I mean they have cyber security and cyber crime of course uh, so that's an investigation that the Mirror talks about in their inside pages. Um, having said all of that, children are never too far from the, the papers uh, this morning and 500 children in Cork saw their preschool or their after school services close in 2023 Uh, Preschool teachers warning that there's even more to come uh, because the funding model, the way it exists right now, um, is just not paying preschools or after-school services <coughs> to stay in business. And if you look at the work that um, Angarda Shikana do in general, uh, staff uh, who take 999 calls, I know we were talking about the abuse that medical staff put up with yesterday and it's like going from bad to worse, the amount of abuse, physical and verbal that they have to put up with in hospital settings. But Gardaí staff taking 999 calls are dealing with an increasing level of verbal abuse as well as people get angrier, more frustrated and seem to want to assert their rights even, of course, when it's uh, when it's actually abusive. So they're taking more and more threatening or abusive phone calls, sexually explicit phone calls to 999, and call, nuisance calls, vexatious calls. You know, people calling 999 and making things up, lying. Um, this would be a nuisance call, which then has to be investigated by Angarda Shikona. So it's eating into Garda, um, Garda I suppose Garda, staff and where they go and the calls that they're answering. So I think one of the ways they're going to deal with this, I heard somewhere this morning was that they're not going to prosecute people who make nuisance calls or, you know, call 99 and claim there's an emergency when there's not. They will be prosecuted for that and rightly so. Um, I will come back actually to um, some fabulous story in a few minutes time uh, of somebody whose life was saved in the the rivers of Cork um, and the intervention of some heroes um, 
Emergency services were called in that case, but there was already uh, members of the public who had gone involved before the Gardaí and indeed the ambulances arrived. More on that in a few minutes' time. Easter is just around the corner as we, and I suppose all the kids now, aren't they? They're all off chocolate and they're off sweets and they're off cakes and all sorts of things. Yeah, right. But how many Easter eggs do your kid, do you get? Whether you're an adult or a child, I suppose it varies. But how many Easter eggs do you think that an average child in Ireland gets every Easter? Well, the answer to that, ladies and gentlemen, is six. And that's on average. It means that some kids get even more than that. Do you ever wonder why we have such an obesity and an overweight problem in this country? with the poundage that's been piled on. So over a billion people across the world are now obese. One in eight of the global population, apparently. And we're right up there with the best of them, I can tell you. And now the Professor Donal O'Shea from the HSE National Clinic and Lead on Obesity said that children, and he's the man that says they're getting an average six Easter eggs each at Easter, and they should only get one. Um... (laughs) Good luck trying to police that. Good luck, I tell you. I mean, maybe, like, maybe there should be a law passed, right? Or a warning on Easter egg shelves, or I don't know, on Easter egg boxes themselves. Only one per child. Or an, Easter, you, an Easter egg license inspector, maybe, comes around you know, every you know Easter mean, Sunday like, how, to check how, in and how many Easter eggs you have. This is totally unpoliceable. <laughs> like, I'm not, I'm not saying that it could be a, a law, don't get me wrong, because it would never, it would never fly. But no child gets nah, one Easter egg. They no, just don't. But like, how many did you get when you were younger? How many would you uh, have well, like when I was young, we only got one. Yeah. It's just, uh, well, we we, just because we, people didn't have money. We, no. we, in our house, was always kind of like one main one and then maybe a small one, nah, you know. Like, but we got one Christmas. The, prob- the problem is now, though. Like, I mean, you look and you go into shops and you're getting two of the small ones for euro fifty. It's very hard not to. I mean, I would be lying if I said I haven't consumed this a mini Easter egg or two already. But you see, in the I shop don't count mini East, mini. You're talking about are you talking cream eggs or, or Easter? No, eggs? as in like you know the ones the smallest size egg. Yeah, yeah. That you no, get the, I mean I think the, the one, I think you're, you're going to find the people who will be Easter, eating Easter eggs way before Easter yeah. Sunday. Yeah, I've I'd say I've eaten about two or three already. If you're totally honest with you, because they're just there. There's two for one fifty. So you're like, oh, I'll get one for somebody else, and I get and one for myself. And that's the but problem. Six is like I remember in school, right? The kids would always go on about how many Easter eggs they got, and but like in in our house, in, uh, certainly in our time, it, like which isn't that long ago. It would, like but six pressure, was a very high number. It would have been, but the pressure is on now because, of course, they're very cheap to produce, right? Yeah, and they're getting cheaper and cheaper because you got huge companies producing them. So, as you said yourself, they start at two euro, two maybe two fifty or three euro. Yeah, but you, like this, this is the problem. If there was minimum like when, pricing on an well, Easter egg, would it make a difference? Well, <laughs> like alcohol. <laughs> Jesus, don't think that would help Fianna Fáil, Fianna Gael in the upcoming election. <laughs> um, that wouldn't be popular. No, I just think like even just generally the availability of like in our in our time it was very much and I know some schools now for like I know somebody who has a kid in their, and in their school it's there's no chocolate allowed in, in break time the only thing you're allowed in, in the school is um, I think it's like yogurts and fruits and stuff like that but you're not yeah, allowed but actually what happens between, between the four walls of a family home is entirely no I know but it's just and grandf- grannies and granddads and aunties and uncles <laughs> and brothers that, and sisters you know. and you know but the problem like when in our time it was like Halloween and Easter were the big cash in days you know what I mean like Halloween was the one day where you got loads of stuff because normally during the week we wouldn't really be we could even a bar like during the week in school like a mini one but we wouldn't be given that much chocolate whereas now the availability of it it's just it's everywhere and kids have so much disposable like if you you compare now with say 20 or 30 years ago 
there's an awful lot more overweight kids now than there mm. were 20 or 30 years. That, that's just a fact. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Because they were out all the time. People had less money and there was less junk to be consumed and there was less ultra-processed food and there was more PE and more sport and, you know, it's, yeah. it was a, maybe a safer the, world. Yeah. It, and it, yeah, and I, I think a lot of it, and it, as you say, it kind of boils down to like now we're living in a day where both parents have to work in order to try. Like before, it was probably the father worked, the mother stayed at home, she would look after everything, and she, you know, she'd have everything down in terms of book, like yeah. all the shopping would be done right on point. She'd use everything that was in the house and all that, and kids would be looked after. And I, I like. Not that I'm saying that I want to go back to a world where women stay in the home and men go to work, but there should be a case where like people should be able to spend longer at home to cook proper meals, to look well, after their kids. Well, you know, like that should be like we're we're working well, ourselves to death well, with well, what I, we're doing. I'll come, at the back, I'll come back to that later on because there's an interesting point you make, and that is the popularity these days of batch cooking. But more on that later on. Let, let me let me just throw the lines open then and text, ask people to text how many Easter eggs will your children consume over the Easter period? I mean, be honest now about it. You know, be honest about it. Text away. 6810406 will it be 1 will it be 2 will it be 4 will it be 6 uh, get involved in that we'll come back to it later on text 0868104106 one little lad who won't be getting an easter egg sadly is little 10 year old Dylan that's so sad and I always spoke about this yesterday Dylan Cody Coleman uh, he was hit uh, by a car in a road collision on Sunday afternoon um, up in Shannon in County Clare and he passed away uh, after the crash um, but he's only gone and donated all of his organs now the reason I say that is because he was in school, his mammy says, some time ago, about a month before he died, sadly. Uh, and he said, we were chatting about organ donation in school. And he said to his parents, if, uh, if, it ever hap- if ever, anything ever happened to me, I'd like to donate my, or- or my organs or anything that would be needed. Um, and, she, and his mam, Laura, is talking to the mirror this morning. Uh, and he has now saved five lives by donating his organs, the little 10-year-old. And, and it was so sad because Laura gave birth to a baby boy. Um, so Dylan would have been a big brother um, and uh, before he passed away they brought in the little baby boy the newborn baby to meet his big brother uh, it's awfully awfully sad that story but uh, him being an organ donor uh, little 10 year old Dylan saved five lives because of it it's just beyond sad isn't it uh, a lot of other stories making the papers which I'll come back to throughout the course of the morning uh, under a little bit of pressure over time but I always spoke about food there um, and uh, I'll come back to other issues involving schools as well but there's a a lovely story that makes the star today of what the international superstars like about um, coming to Ireland. And a lot of the time, it's food. So the star has looked at six of them, right? Sarah, Sarah Jessica Parker, who I think actually has a house or a home up in, on Donegal. What is she, with, with Matthew Broderick, what is she like about Irish food? She says, um, it's the vegetable soup uh, is her particular favourite. Particularly um, the vegetable soup and potatoes and butter. Stanley Tucci says it's the Kerrygold butter. If there's no Kerrygold butter left in the United Kingdom, it's because it's either in our freezer or we've ate it all, says Stanley Tucci. Liam Gallagher, for him, it's tato, cheese and onion crisps. The end. Thank you. Good night. Uh, For Lizzo, um, it's the famous Irish spice bag, which apparently recently was named as Ireland's favourite takeaway. I must try one of those damn things. Um, Anyway, for her, it's the spice bag, a paper bag filled with fried chicken, onions and fries. Um, For Marco Pierre White, it's Irish coddle, which is um, anything and everything you can put into uh, a, a saucepan and cook it up, usually sausages and rashers and potatoes and barley. And for Barbara Streisand, it's homemade Irish soda bread. 
I pass it on for what it's worth. That's the soda bread or the brown or white bread that your mammy made. Incidentally, what do you call your mammy? There's a survey out now in the papers today saying that um, the most popular two-thirds of Irish people call their mother ma'am. 66% of us ma'am. 13% say mammy. And 10% say mum. Um, so there's three different ways of saying it. Ma'am, mammy and mum. There's another one that's sneaking up in popularity at 6% and it's the American word mom. You know, as in soccer mom. Mom, M-O-M. But the most popular one apparently, ma'am, which was always uh, the term of endearment I used for my own ma'am. Text 0868104106. Back after the break. Text or WhatsApp Neil now. 0868104106. The Neil Prenderville Show on Red FM. All righty, let's get straight to the phone calls. My apologies to Stephen for keeping him waiting. This is a story from yesterday afternoon. Stephen, good morning. Hiya Neil, how's it going? Fair play, uh, I want you to tell us the whole story, leave nothing out So you were driving home yesterday around about 5 o'clock Where were you, what did you see? Yeah, so I was going down Merchant's Quay um, And I saw some fellas sprinting up the footpath Taking off his coat as he was running So I was saying, jeez, I said, is this guy in a fight or what's happening? And the next day I looked and there was a load of people looking into the river So I pulled in my van and I jumped out and I had a look and next day I saw there was three people inside in the river. So the guy, I said that I saw running up the road, taking off his jacket, ran in to save the other guy who had fallen in or jumped in. And there was another guy in there as well. And um, what was it? I, I'm just trying to think. I'm sorry, Neil. Um, okay. What was so, it? Oh, yeah. I was just saying like, like, like how, how brave he was to do it, you know. But um, they were, yeah, they kind of rescued your man. And what happened then? The other guy, the guy that I saw jumping in there, he took off his shoes and socks and his pants and his top and he kind of discarded them because he was getting into difficulty himself and he um, he was kind of fished out then with um, a, a life boy. And uh, I was just saying it was kind of um, very brave of him and then I kind of thought, geez, I said he's after losing his shoes and socks now and I just thought, you know, wouldn't it be great if we could kind of chip okay, in? Okay, so two jumped into the river. I'm just reading from, from Corkby overnight as well, but obviously you saw all of this, what I'm going to say. Uh, two of them jumped into the river to aid this man as they feared that his strength was fading and was he was fighting against a powerful current to keep his head above the water. Uh, it's understood then at one stage, as you just said, that one of the men um, uh, had to take off his own clothes and discard them and they floated away down the yeah. lee because he was possibly getting into trouble as well or, or struggling as well, yeah? Yeah, yeah, um, that was it, yeah. Well, yeah. Um, somebody then threw a, uh, a life ring, was it? Yeah, yeah. I, I kind of said, I, I kind of said, I said, is that guy okay? And the guard showed it down then and he said, are you all right? And your man said, he said, uh, no, no, he said, I'm kind of struggling here. He said, I can't swim with my clothes on. So then he started taking off his clothes and as you said, he discarded his clothes and then he said, I need a life ring. I was looking for a life ring. I couldn't find one. Somebody found one then and threw it down and um, then he kind of swam out on top of that. Yeah, so... Why yeah. Not? So they, they, they got him out, the guy. Corbio said that he was seen falling over a railing and into the water near Merchant's Quay. You may not know that, but they're speculating that he'd been asked to leave the nearby shopping centre, was escorted from the shopping mall, ran across the road and fell into the river. At that, at that stage, emergency services were, were wrong. But the guy who took all of his clothes off and saved him, did he bring him back to the quay or to the, to the, the quay wall? 
you know what? There, there, there was two of them in there who were kind of saving, who who dived in to rescue him. And I think, you know, it was kind of the other guy, to be fair to him, kind of had, had rescued him. And the other guy, the guy who took off his clothes, kind of just seemed to be there kind of in support. Um, you know, to be fair, I suppose I didn't see the whole thing, you know, kind of maybe by the time I got there. Um, you know, I'm not sure exactly how how it went down, but definitely it was the the other guy kind of will say was holding on to the the guy who needed rescuing, and then the guy who took off his clothes was the guy, and um, um, he was just kind of kind of next to the scene, you know. But um, um, again, but both you know, both of them were in the water though on a very cold yeah, day yeah. where the that, temperature that of the, the water. Yeah, about, yeah, go on. It was about six degrees yesterday, so I was saying like like I was just saying how brave were they like. The green cold, um, yeah, you know, and I, yeah, yeah, it was, it was amazing. Like it was just amazing, yeah, yeah. Amazing is right. Then Anglesey Street Fire Station were there. The ambulance service was there. Guardy were there. Um, yeah, you know, they, they, they all arrived kind of after the guy had been rescued, and um, the guards looked over the wall and they, uh, well, you know, anyway, sorry. And the fire brigade then came running down then, and they kind of cleared everybody off the scene. So I suppose, you know, I don't know what happened to the guys who did the rescue. I was saying to my kids this morning, he probably just got a blanket and was told, well done, and he went home with a blanket. So one fella fella at least went home with very little clothes. Absolutely, and that that was my point, really. I was just saying, I think... Wouldn't it be great if we could, I don't know, maybe start a fund or chip in or some maybe... Find, a local business find them anyway. Uh, find the two of them well, first. Well, that was the yeah. thing. And that, that, that's why I wrote in because I was saying, you know, that you'd be able to track them down. Ah, yeah, yeah, we, should, you know, we yeah. should be able to do that. We've been, you know, hopefully someone's going to know them. They might even be listening themselves. So they didn't, as the as the as as it's saying online this morning, two rescuers choose not to hang around for long, leaving after a checkup by paramedics, um, not making a fuss about themselves, I suppose. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Like, they, they definitely deserve medals for bravery, but as I said, I'd be more practical. Let's I think I think your man, your man needs shoes and, 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 and clothes that he, uh, that he lost, you know, in his, in, his, in his good deed, you know. OK, well, let's get behind that then, shall we? Yeah, definitely. I was saying, Neil, I'll kick it off. I'll donate 50 quid to the fund. Um, and as I said, you know what, I'd be more than happy to do that because... As I said, you know, I just thought it was like how brave, how brave were those two fellas to yeah, do that? Yeah, 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 yeah. I'll, I'll, yeah. Ma- I'll match that. Um, and I, and I okay. know, and I know that we have some contacts as well in the uh, in the clothing business, different different shops around Cork who we will approach and see if they'd be interested in maybe suiting and booting this guy or, or, or both of them. We did it in the okay. past with a, another fellow who jumped in to save a life and we did a, a good little campaign of a morning and replaced his mobile phone, which went down to the end of the water at the time. But listen, yeah, yeah. Um, the, 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 man and his, the man who went into the water refused medical treatment and was escorted from the scene by Gardaí. Um, in, in, incidentally, um, they did manage to find one person, but this was the chap who threw the life ring in the water a security guard by the name of Zaknoun Zinedine, an Algerian national working in security nearby. He threw the life ring in, but it would be good to know the names of the two lads in the water as well. See if we can get um, get their names and, and reward them in some way or fashion, yeah? Uh, absolutely. They, it would be well deserved. They would, they would deserve it. Thank by, you so much means. for sharing yeah. the story as, a, as a, an eyewitness to that yesterday. Thanks, Stephen. I'll be back to you if we have uh, Thanks, any luck on it. Anybody know who these two individuals are? Perhaps you're listening and you are one of those two individuals get in touch because people would like to say thank you uh, let's find out if we can find them first and then see what we do thereafter text 0868104106 if you know who those chaps are or indeed if you are one of those get in touch with us we'd like to chat and say well done because 
two heroes yesterday saved a life. Text 0868104106. Pick up the phone on 0818104106. Can I just mention one other thing? I know I'm blinding you with stuff regarding your children this morning and things related to that. Don't be giving children any more than one Easter egg, they're saying. Um, I'm asking you to tell me honestly how many Easter eggs your children will consume this Easter. Text 0868104106. And if you thought... Um, <laughs> If you thought things were tough, rare in kids these days, just keep an eye on what's happening across the water. Um, they get, in the UK, they get six weeks summer holidays. <laughs> six weeks. And now um, there is talk that they're going to change that in the UK and bring it down to four weeks summer holidays in the UK uh, for primary and secondary by comparison to Ireland, six weeks is very short when you consider that secondary school kids in Ireland get three months off during the summer. So in the UK, that's six weeks and they're thinking of dropping it to four weeks because they've got an education crisis where they can't get the kids to learn as much as they used to before. There are way more distractions in their lives, I suppose. So it could go down to four weeks summer holidays. How do you think that would fly here? Um, actually, the teachers in the UK aren't interested in this at all. Um, they want it left, the, you know, something like 33 to 35% said, leave it as it is, or if you have to drop it, only drop it by a week. Uh, but here it's three months uh, of the summer that uh, secondary schools certainly get off and I'm quite sure that the teachers in secondary school would be way, would be, would certainly not, would not be in favour of going from three months to six weeks or four weeks. <laughs> A lot of it has to do, of course, with trying to go on summer holidays. Imagine the grief in the UK if you had four weeks off in the summer and everybody was going on summer holidays within that four-week period. I mean, think about the chaos trying to get a holiday and the price that you'd have to pay. I mean, it, it, it seems as if many people now think that it's all right to take kids out of school during term time if they're in primary school. Not so cool to do it during secondary. But for some others then in Ireland, I think that three months summer holidays must be a bit of a pain, particularly if you have two parents working and trying to come up with, you know, child mining for the kids or trying to fill their three months while you're actually physically at work yourself. Anyway, text 0868104106 on that one. Keith Donaghy, good morning. Uh, my apologies, that line slipped on me. I think I have it again now. Keith, can you hear me? Yes, I can hear you. Okay, you were there yesterday. You participated in the rescue. Yes. T- tell us what you yes. did and what happened. So I was walking home there yesterday and I was passing the bridge there by Merson's Key and I seen, I seen a ring there in the water and someone, someone just jumped into the water to save your man. So we threw the ring straight in and uh, we dragged him straight up the steps. So it is. Okay, how, how many of you were on the key side? How many, so, like, was there another so chap there, there as well, a security guard? Yeah, so there was there was two fellas, they weren't Irish. One fella jumped in, one fella was waiting there with his clothes off, and then there was me and some other fella, and we were putting the ring in. We put him up to the steps then, and uh, made sure he was all right, and they walked off there. And by the time that happened then, had all of the emergency services come yeah. out? Yeah, so the guards were pretty fast, you know, and then the ambulances, they were flying up the road then after, and your man was all right, so we put him up to the steps, like, but I'm just glad you now he's okay, you know. But I know, yeah. So how, how does that work? The the The, the ring... The life-saving yes. ring has a rope yes. on it and, and you just literally fire it into the water, is it? We fired it into the water and your man jumped in after after the fellow that was in the water. He put it over his neck and we reached him in then after that up to the steps. So then you pulled the rope and... Uh, yeah. 
Yeah. yeah, yeah, me and some other fella pulled her up and then straight up to the set. And it was about five minutes, five minutes we pulled him up. And uh, he was grand, like, but he looked a bit cold now. Do you, but, uh, did you go down the steps then to help him up onto the path? Down the steps, down the steps then, and we pulled him up and then, uh, and then I walked away. Like. Everybody seemed to walk away. Everybody involved in the rescue just walked away and got on with their business. Yeah, 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 we did indeed. But I was just glad he was okay, do you know what I mean? It was just, it just, it just all happened in a split second, do you know what I mean? It was very fast, like, but I'm just glad the man's okay, do you know, and he's getting the help now that he needs, like. Absolutely. Isn't it very important that those life rings are left alone, that they're not vandalised? Exactly, exactly. Very, very important, like. Okay, you know? okay. Well yeah. done, man, well done. You were part of Thank a life-saving operation. We know of two of the four people now. Zach Noon, Zinedine, and Keith Donaghy. We're still looking for yeah. the two lads who went into the water. It'd be great to find all four, wouldn't it? It would indeed, it would indeed. Nice one. Thanks, Keith. Job well done yes. yesterday. Stay listening. I want to get all four names. Text 0868 104 106. Call Neil now. 0818 104 106. The Neil Prenderville Show on Red FM. Okay. Text 0868 and we'll continue to endeavour to find those that saved a life yesterday. And I'm happy to say that already uh, we have had a wonderful offer from uh, Simply Suits. Thank you to uh, Connor and the gang at Simply Suits and they'd love to look after um, the the lad. Perhaps two of them uh, suffered clothing loss. We'll, we'll find out but it's a lovely offer. Thank you to Simply Suits for that. So more of that uh, throughout the course of the programme this morning. But talking about finding people or endeavouring to find people I'm going to stay with this topic this side of 10 o'clock because I want to talk uh, to Gary O'Brien who joins me from up the country. I'm not quite sure. I think he may well be up around the Dublin area. Let's find out. Gary, good morning. Where are you pal? Good morning. Hi, I'm in Shankill in County Dublin. Nice one. Now, I know you're looking for your brother, right? And we can chat about that in a second. But I, I don't mm-hmm. want to go into much of the personal detail, you know, for your own family reasons and indeed your brother's. Of but, but I know that there was, there was it, like, you fell out of touch at some stage years ago. Um, and you're looking for help to try and find your brother. You're Gary O'Brien and he's Christopher Patrick O'Brien. Um, Correct. Do, do, do you think he, okay, so do, he, he may well be in Park. Just, just, just tell me what, what you can about, about the backstory. Um, and, and I know, as I said, there was a bit of a parting of the ways, um, and that was like twenty odd years ago, was it? Almost twenty four years ago, I suppose. So um, our, our father died in two thousand, um, and of course, look, you know, um, at funerals it can be emotionally charged, etc. Okay. Okay. Um, um, we didn't as much as have a fallen out as we just literally parted ways. Okay. Um, but uh, our mum is um, seventy eight now. Uh, she's in ill health. Um, we don't know kind of you know a time frame of what time she has left with us. Um, and we have also other family events that we need to make um, Patrick Christopher aware of. Um, and so, you know, we know at some stage he was walking in the Cork area. He's a chef uh, by trade. Um, and yeah, said so I'd reach out to you guys and see if you now, could. Um, no, I said Christopher Patrick and you're saying Patrick Christopher. How, what would he be known as? Yeah. Okay. So affectionately in the family, he's known as Pat. Okay, he's uh, registered and born as Patrick Christopher, but sometimes changes that around himself. Okay, uh, just had uh, something he had done over the years, and that's why. So, if he were known Pat to O'Brien, people, if he were known to people in Cork, what would he be known as? Maybe Chris O'Brien. Chris O'Brien. <laughs> I know, I know. There's a few there. Okay, but uh, okay. he's originally from Shankill in County Dublin. Okay, um, okay. and it's it's a long time, of course, since and we've seen him. So s- since since then sadly when your dad passed away 23 and a half years ago 
Was there any contact over the years? Just one phone call about 10 years ago uh, to our family landline number um, from an 021 Cork number, which is not actually now in service, unfortunately. So we kind of hit a bit of a, a brick wall with that one as but well. But that was just, was that an unanswered call or was there a conversation? No, it was a, it was a call to my mum. It was a brief call just to see how she was. It was lasted a very short call um, and she tried to get a, a contact, you know, like a mobile number, um, but the line went dead. So okay, okay. that was the last time okay. we were So your mum's in ill health um, and, and mm-hmm. obviously you ha- has your mum expressed a wish to, to, to meet her? Absolutely. Yeah. Okay. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. And at one stage did you hire a private investigator? We did. Well, I did, yeah. Just in November gone, um, we were in touch with a guy um, who unfortunately just came to a brick wall as well and said, look, I, I have no further detail on your brother. Um, <laughs> so... Um, Obviously, you guys you know, mm. were the, the next train of thought. Mm. Mm. So he's a trained chef. Um, yeah. He, he, he certainly made a call from Cork nine years ago. He potentially yep. might have been here a lot longer than nine years. He may well have settled down in Cork. Um, did, 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 he, did he have his own family or anything like that? That you know, be, might be some way of finding him through sons or daughters or partners or anything? Um, he, she does have a daughter um, she was adopted very young and part of this scenario is that this girl has come back into our lives um, just uh, in December through Ancestry DNA okay, of all things okay, okay. so the contact is being made with her name is Sarah yeah. and she's now in touch with myself on pretty much a a weekly basis you know just yeah. catch up etc and she's looking for her dad as well and he wouldn't, um, of course, he wouldn't know that. Uh, no, not at all. No, he, he obviously he was aware of her birth, aware of her adoption, uh, and that's it. So that's 36 years ago. Sarah is 36 okay, now. Okay. So he has had no contact with Sarah whatsoever, but she most certainly wants to have contact with ah, him. Ah, it's an amazing story. How old would Chris O'Brien or Christopher Patrick so, O'Brien be? Y- yeah, so he was born in 1963. Um, on the 20th of May, 1963. Okay. So make him like, what, 62? 60, 60, 60, almost 61, I think. 61, maybe 62, I think, come this May. 61 is right, yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, and, your, and your mam has expressed a desire and a wish to um, rekindle, rekindle contact with him. It says here that your mum kept the landline all these years in hopes that she'd <laughs> recognise the number if it rang again. Yeah, yeah we, we, it's, it's, you know, the landline is there, it's, it's, it's never been switched off um, for this reason, that's hopefully at some stage, you know, he may ring in, you know, to, to make contact, but unfortunately it hasn't happened. And so do, you, do, you, do you know if you guys or if the private investigator had any luck contacting his former friends that he might have stayed in touch with in, in Dublin over the years? He, he must have stayed in touch with some people. We don't know that part because um, he was quite transient back in the day due to the nature, I suppose, of his work. Um, so he would have moved. Now, we did hear through kind of family friends that he was in the Cork area. And then about, you know, six years kind of passed and the phone call came from the Cork area. So we're assuming that he has settled, you know, in that in that area, like family-wise. But old acquaintances etc anyone that was no, associated no. with him not yet no okay. there's, there's nothing there unfortunately so okay okay um what if he doesn't wish to to get in touch 
that's totally his choice. Of course, he's an adult at the end of the day. You know, we all have our own mindset, but we're reaching out because we just think the time uh, is right. Um, you know, mum's ill health, um, his his daughter, Sarah, and myself, you know, um, a long time has passed and no contact. And it's... Uh, it's just I, we believe it's just the right time to reach out. And it would be a lovely thing. Yeah, it would be a lovely thing if he did make if if he did make contact and visit. Yeah. Um, or failing that, make contact and say I'm okay. I don't wish to visit. Do you know what I mean? At least you'd know anything at all. Anything, anything at, all. at all would be. Is nice. there anything yeah. else we? Is there anything else we need that maybe that we could work with? Train chef probably working in the Cork area, possibly has always been working in the Cork area, possibly known as Chris O'Brien or Christopher Patrick O'Brien, originally from Dublin, um, 61, possibly going on 62. He needs to know that his mother wants uh, to uh, get in touch with him. Her health is failing. He may or may mm-hmm. not know that he has a daughter who would also like to get in touch. Anything else we have to work with? Um, I, I really don't, unfortunately, because okay. it's, uh, I was quite young, um, you know, <laughs> and a lot of years have passed. Pa- Christopher Pass, uh, you know, he's always a very creative person, um, a big music lover as well. Um, back in, you know, as I can remember growing up with him, um, and, and a very nice person. Um, it's just obviously families are families, and we all have our across the bear, but, um, you know, as I said, with mum's health and I with know. Sarah. It would be a wonderful thing to be nice. It have would you, be lovely. Have you done anything on social? with photographs Facebook X uh, no no I haven't and I we, we you know we have I have two older brothers one is slightly younger uh, than Pat and um, I just chatting to him and like he doesn't have a Facebook page or X he doesn't use social media they're over that kind of a generation and maybe Pat's the same there's a lot of people like of that age that yeah you, that might it. be the case yeah. but you'd never know that somebody might see never it know. And, and know him I mean yeah. like I, I'm yeah. certain I'm certainly up for putting it on our socials for you if you wish if there was a photograph Absolutely. you know Absolutely, I'll send one on. Absolutely. Would you mind? Okay, all right. Oh, God, we'd love that. Yeah. All right, do do that this morning so we get working on it later. Sure. And uh, we'll touch base in the coming days or, or weeks and see what happens, all right, in the interim. Thank you so much. You're welcome, Thank you so Gary. much. Okay. I really appreciate it. Fingers Have crossed. You too. Okay. Cheers. So Bye-bye. Christopher Patrick O'Brien is his full name. He could well have been here on Leaside for the past 20-odd years. Could well be known as... Chris O'Brien or Pat O'Brien or Christopher Patrick O'Brien but certainly trained, highly trained as a chef and probably settled down in Cork if he's listening um, um, you'll have heard the story it's, it's your call if you want to make contact uh, with the family, you don't even have to get in touch with me uh, I'm quite sure that um, um, you have some number, um, I imagine that your mother's phone number hasn't changed but if you wish to go through me and you don't have a phone number um, I can give you a number here, I have Gary O'Brien's number, if it's uh, Christopher Patrick O'Brien that wants to get in touch or indeed if you know of him, do get in touch as well. So on that, text 0868 or pick up the phone on 0818 back after the break. The Neil Prenderville Show on Red FM conversation that matters. Uh, during the break there we just checked with Gary O'Brien who'd be Chris O'Brien, Pat O'Brien's uh, brother because um, uh, I just want to know whether it'd be okay just to directly give out Gary O'Brien's mobile number as in the chap I was just talking to on air and it's 87 I think that would be a wonderful thing if the family were reunited, particularly for Mam's sake, because Mam's health is failing. Be well into her 70s now, but there are a lot of different aspects to this story, uh, not just um, um, Chris Stroke Pat O'Brien's 
man, but also uh, his his daughter who um, got in touch through ancestors DNA. So it's a it's a beautiful beautiful story that needs um, you know a start a middle and a finish. And it would be great if there was a unification, the reunification there. Oh eight seven nine two double three double six five. You can talk to Gary O'Brien directly. We have now um, got the third person involved in this four-man rescue yesterday. So what do we know? We know because Keith Donaghy was on air himself and Zach, Zach Noon Zinedine uh, were the two that threw the life ring into the water. One of the two that went into the water is Richard Lee from Toker. He's another one of the guys who helped in yesterday's rescue. He helped to drag the man back to the riverside. He's a private chap. He didn't want to come on the air, but he owns Groundmaster Solutions. He parked up his truck, he told us a while ago, to run in and to help and went into the water. Incidentally, his dad, Tom, owns Lee Crash Repairs in the Southside Industrial Estate in Toker. So a hard-working family. man by the name of Owen O'Connor is the fourth man. Uh, we're trying to contact him now. He's apparently a vet and a lifeguard. So we know the names of all four now at this stage, but uh, Richard Lee says he was happy to be part of the rescue. He doesn't want any um, kind gesture or any gift or any help. He's uh, happy out just to have helped and moved on with his life. So that's lovely. But at least now we know all four names. But it would be good if possible to talk to uh, Owen O'Connor because they only think is the man who took all his clothes off in the water because they were weighing him down. Uh, so more about that uh, throughout the course of the morning. Just a quick one this side of 10. Will, good morning. Good morning, Neil. All right, my friend. You just wanted to get involved in this. Go ahead. Oh, but with regards yeah. to Gary, um, th- th- another avenue of investigation you think that should be investigated is what? Yeah, well, what I actually think, Neil, is if Gary walked anywhere, or Chris, whatever his name is, if he walked anywhere in Cockers, he said, it's a crap phone line there, Will. Can you move around a little bit there? I don't know if you want a car kit or what. Yeah, can you hear me now? That's better. Go on, yeah, go on, go on, go on. Yeah. If he walked in car at any stage, the revenue will have a PEYE record of that lad, right? They will, but I wonder will GDPR allow them to actually get involved? You could say that about the passport well, office and all sorts of things. Let, let me finish now, right? Okay. If his brother contacts the revenue and explain the situation regarding the mother's health, blah, blah, blah. The revenue may not give him the direct information, but what the revenue could very well do, should they choose, is contact Gary, tell him, or Chris, tell him that the family are looking for him and explain the situation, and then he would contact them directly. If, if, if GDPR and data protection allowed that, you know, we will not share your information with a third party, etc., etc., etc. I know what you're saying. I know what you're saying. Yeah, but uh, you see, they're not, they're not sharing the information, Neil. What they're doing is, they say, yeah, we have a record on them. That, that's all we can tell you. They contact Chris directly and tell him he's been sought by the family to his mother's ill health situation. And then it would be up to Chris to contact the family directly. Anything, anything that would help the reunification, if it were to happen, is a good idea. Um, I'll pass. I'll pass that on to his brother uh, and see what right. happens in that regard. We'll pass that on to Gary O'Brien to contact Revenue, the Passport Office, maybe the Driving yes. License Authority, maybe all three of those. Good one. Good yes, one. even the even Department of Social Protection, anybody at all. And like I said, they may not feel direct and give the information if they're precluded from that, but they contact the person directly and tell them you're being sought. Nice one, nice one. Didn't even think of that. Well done, Will. That's why I love people get involved in this programme because you've got smart solutions to many things. Thank you, Will. I'll come back to this throughout the course of the morning. Text 0868104106. We're back either way after 10. The Neil 
Brenderville Show on Red FM. Conversation that matters. Certainly do. Get involved in the conversation. Text 0868104106 on Easter eggs with the, um, I suppose... I suppose the advice that's going out and told you about it earlier this morning one Easter egg per child please because they're eating way too much and of course diets have changed so much in the last 20 or 30 years big time you wouldn't recognise half the foods around now if you went into a time machine and went back to the 1980s anyway text on that we all got a few Easter eggs when we were young but we ate well at the same time fast food is the issue in 2024 it's great that the Easter eggs are cheap so at least people under financial pressure can afford them another one I have three kids they get two Easter eggs each last summer we still had some in the house I'm a diabetic myself I'm delighted my kids have no mass on sugary things don't get me wrong they do like them uh, but I don't restrict it as I think that not allowing and restricting it is what will cause the want even more so you'll always find sweet things in my house but the kids will get fruit just as fast sweet sugary treats my two kids definitely get around eight easter eggs each easily i mean that text is uh, suggesting that it's even more than eight easter eggs each the problem is that they're so cheap you see grandparents and relations and friends all buy easter eggs for them as well they should really get two easter eggs and that's off the easter bunny then if the relations gave them a fiver or something smaller at least they could go to a fun fair or do something with the few bob perks maybe down in y'all. Um, so you're saying it should be limited to two. I don't know. I think there might be a revolt in your household if it goes from eight down to two. I can see it coming. Of course, it's the supermarkets will get the blame. Well, I don't know about the, the well, it's, it's, there's more than just the supermarkets. There's the producers, the manufacturers, the makers of it and the, and the supermarkets. And it's all sold, sold so cheap. Um, lots then on our river rescue from yesterday afternoon. And I will come back to that in a few minutes time. Um, the uh, big ticket item in the upcoming general election I was telling you out of the nine o'clock news will be immigration. Just some text on that one. It's no longer immigration. It's more like invasion. By 2050, Native Irish will be a minority in Ireland, maybe even earlier than that, I'd say, says Matt in Mallow. Um, That's a fairly heavy-hitting text. I think it's very disturbing looking at people in tents down side streets in Dublin with the snow on them. At the end of the day, they are human beings. The government really should stop taking people in right now if they can't house them, full stop. And one final one, 47,000 immigrants arrived at our airports. 40,000 of them, Neil, had no papers or had forged papers. There's not a word about it here. It's been discussed in the UK regularly, but not here. I can't confirm those stats at all, uh, but here's something to go by. Uh, 3,285 people arrived in Dublin airport without valid identity documents, representing 70% of all asylum applications made at the airport uh, in 2022, it was a higher figure of just under 5,000. So I don't know where the 40,000 without papers is coming from and over what period of time. Either way, text 0868104106 back after the break. Ivor standing by. Call Neil now. 0818104106. The Neil Prenderville Show on Red FM. Morning all. Text 0868104106. The Neil Prenderville Show with Mercedes Benz Cork. Um, I will come back to active stories from this morning. Uh, hopefully we'll have some more updates between now and midday. But can I turn to another one and today's date is a very significant date it's the first day of March yesterday being you know the leap year day and we've bounced from 
the 29th to uh, the 1st of March this morning. And that date, you'll understand when I read parts of this email, uh, can't make my circumstances public in any huge amount of detail, uh, but maybe we can maybe highlight this story without giving too much personal information away. Absolutely, I'm, I'm happy to do that. Um, and I've edited sections of the email to just what's relevant. This story involves a house in which a tenant is living in. Uh, and those that got in touch with me um, gave the tenant a valid six, uh, nine months notice period. And that notice period um, is up today, the 1st of March. Um, now, the owner of the property needs it back for a family member that needs use of the property. And, and that this happens, and it's understandable that situations like this happen, the proper um, valid notice was given of, of nine months. Tenants been trying and trying and trying. Um, but I was told in the email from the owners of the property that the tenant is very vulnerable. He had a construction accident a number of years ago here in Ireland. He also has a rare cancer, uh, which our understanding is that if he gets cold, which he does faster than anybody else, large areas of his skin turns black and the skin dies. Our tenant has access uh, to uh, children um, and needs a property for visitation, etc., etc. He has a GP, he's a hospital letter confirming his medical condition, which is chronic. He has letters advising him that he needs to be out by the 1st of March today. Um, he's been on to the council, we've been on to the council, they've advised him not to apply um, until um, after Christmas, uh, which he did. He has a letter confirming his completed application, etc., etc., uh, and then last Tuesday, uh, I went with him to Mallow Council offices in Mallow. This is the owner of the property. Uh, went along with the tenant. The lady we spoke to uh, just didn't get it. She told him to turn up on Friday when he was out of the home and they would do a homeless assistance. And if there was something available, they'd put him in a hotel or a B&B. She also stated everyone is treated the same. I imagine that's regardless of their medical condition. Our tenant is not the same, Neil. Being homeless will, as per the GP letter, mean that he will almost immediately be hospitalised. But they refused to do any more except to say report as homeless on Friday morning. I've spoken with the local councillor, Frank Roach. He'll vouch for what I'm saying to be true. I have copies of all of the letters. The system does not work for tenants or for landlords. I would advise anyone... Uh, to let a house in this country I wouldn't advise anyone to let a house in this country as you may be a very long time getting it back um, and unfortunately uh, landlords may end up seeing their tenant homeless and who would want that so that's a, a cry for help and it's it's lovely to see it from the owner of the property who needs it back obviously for uh, for a family member but is still very very worried and caring about the tenant that tenant is Ivor uh, and he joins me by phone uh, Ivor good morning good morning Neil thank you so much for taking the call you you were told to report this morning the first day of March to um, was it was it to homeless services in Mallow uh, that's would be to Mallow Council uh, Housing Office. Okay, so you went to Mallow County, yeah, yeah, the housing office. Which is all point of contact for all housing needs. Okay, so. okay. So, what happened, have you, are you still in, are you still in the property? Well, I'm literally outside right now, sitting in my car. No, but I'm saying, are you still in the property that you've been living in? Oh, no, no, no. I'm I'm out of property since this morning. Ah, uh, you left it and everything on the day that you had to go. 
Yes. And what about yes. all of your what about all of your possessions? Well, council advised me to store them somewhere, but they would not advise me where would I found any storage services. Okay. Okay. Or who would pay for them? Okay. Um I'm just I'm just curious are all, are all of your belongings still in the house? Well, all all of my belongings are either with me in a car, either in a van. Oh my god. Who's waiting to where they can be okay. dropped off. Okay, so the van and those in the van want to know where you're going to store your stuff, everything else you have in yes. the car. Were you lo- were you long in that property? I was there for 12 years. Okay. And your kids would visit every second weekend, so it's probably a two- or a three-bedroom, is it? Uh, it is four-bedroom, which was fine before my ex decided to leave. Okay. Well, I won't, go into, I won't go into, pardon me, yeah. if you don't mind, I don't want to go into any of those personal stories because they are just that, yeah. personal. Yeah. So I just want to deal with the situation you find yourself in. So this morning, as you were advised to do, you went to council offices and you were told to report on the first day of March. So did you do that? Yes, um, I did. Right, I, I did right that the, when they opened and I was told there is nothing they could help me with. As in nothing at all? Nothing, nothing at all. Okay, but in my notes here, I was told that you were told that if you went back on the 1st of March that you would be assessed as homeless and that there would be a hotel or a B&B made available. I have been told that by councils since last July on nearly weekly basis. Do not worry, there is enough time. We will have something for you. Okay, okay. But you aren't allowed to report as homeless until the day you're actually made homeless, which is technically today. Yes. And when you went in this morning, what exactly were you told? I was told there is nothing we could provide you with. All hostels and hotels are booked fully. There is no place for you. So no hostels available, no hotel bedrooms available, no B&Bs available. Did they give you advice or suggest what you should do? Uh, they told me to go to city and look for some hospices. But I don't know where to go in city. I'm in county. Okay, okay. And you had an accident years ago. You came over here from Latvia to work in construction, is it? Yes, I did. Did you have an accident at work? yeah. Uh, no, that was out of work. Okay, what but happened? It was ac- accidental fall. I fell and so it, you know, I'm left with permanent damage on my ankle. Okay, so your mobility and is impaired. And could, do you mind me asking about your cancer diagnosis, Ivor? What is that? Uh, well, it kind of, it's something that I was yesterday in hospital to speak with the doctors and they I kind of, I was di- diagnosed only last year after years and years 
complaining that I'm cold and freezing, which no one takes seriously. Just get dressed, get dressed, like, until it took for me to be hospitalized when actually doctors noticed that, okay, that should be taken care of. So I got diagnosis last year, and there is currently no available cure for it, which, which my blood turns into jelly when my body temperature drops below 36.8 degrees. And how, so, how do you feel physically when that happens? Well, it starts uh, itching, which turns into pinching and which turns into, like, pounding of the skin and, like, it and turns into excruciating pain. It results in, finally, excruciating pain. All of the all of the time when the temperature drops, this happens. And does your skin turn black? Yes, it does. It turns reddish, then it turns purple, and when there is no blood supply, it dies, turns black. So the skin di- literally skin dies on you, on your body. Yes. Okay. And and and. What what does that result in then? Is it like wounds and sores and things, or or, or is it just? Well, yes, it it's, it it results in some. If if I get early advice on it, then if I notice and have chance to take care of it, then it might go away in few hours. And whereas if yeah. I don't get early advice, then it might lead to like I have permanent scars. And yeah. it's half of half a year of wounds that doesn't heal for half a year. Okay, okay. So do you do you have to keep the your home at a high temperature then all of the time? Uh, yes, it's generally higher temperature than would be for other people. Like, do you, I'm, I'm just I'm just actually curious. What what kind of temperature do you have to, temperature do you have to keep indoors? Uh, between 22 and 27 degrees is the one where I can it's my comfort zone anything below that it's trouble for me and anything above that leads me to sweating and that's in return the same trouble again Would you regularly have it as high as tw- like 27 degrees is suffocating like is it not but you but uh, you but you're not you're, you're still feeling the cold if it's not that high Yes, I feel cold if it's not at least 22 degrees. So they told you this morning, go to the city um, because they can't help you, having promised you for months that they would have a place for you this morning if you presented as homeless. Yes, and I was told for all this and the day I got the notice, council was aware of that. And I've been told, don't worry, you have enough time. Don't worry, don't worry, don't don't come back until you're actually homeless mm-hmm. without a roof. Mm-hmm. You'll be better off collapsing on the side of the street, Ivor, picked up in an ambulance and brought to hospital, put in a warm bed. Well... It seems that it is my only option now left. Either that or, or, or reach out to friends. 
well, the thing is that I have a friend where they don't have those facilities to house someone else, even on temporary basis. They don't have it. They don't have room, is what you're saying. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Is going... Do you go back to Latvia often? I know know people will be asking that question listening to this. No, no, I I don't go. I don't. I have my mother and father still alive, but I can keep in touch with them over phone or WhatsApp. Yeah, yeah. Going back there, I have nothing there. My children are here. And is that the reason why, like, some might suggest might be a reasonable thing to suggest that perhaps where you find yourself now that your your time and your life in Ireland really sadly has come to an end and that you should return to the bosom of your parents' home but you don't want to do that because you have children here. Of course I have children here and my parents as well they are in their late 70s and they don't have those extra rooms either so so it's not an option for me to go to Latvia where it's even much colder than in Ireland (laughs) yeah and there's no cure for this you're saying not not cure that would be really helpful I was suggested that there is one option available however the side effects of it it outweighs the, any possible benefits that could possibly provide with a cure. Now, your landlord uh, is very worried about you, as you know, and she has gone with you on a number of occasions to, you know, when the, when, when the clock was ticking to see if something could be done. She'll be very upset to hear that you were turned away from Mallow Council offices uh, this morning because uh, she doesn't want to see you homeless, and that's why she originally got in touch with me. So... She seems to have great time for you. Yes. You know, great time for you. Yes, she, yes, and, and she's been great landlord and mm. we never had any issues with it. So it's it's not a matter of yeah. okay. choices or behaviours that led me to... Oh, I know. No, I know, no, you're a, model, you're a model tenant. But were you... I have to ask you this because it's about being open and transparent. Did you turn down a council property some years back? Uh, yes, back in 2012, right when my son was born, uh, we were offered uh, council property. However, I had to turn it down because the best of my wishing and uh, I could not accept the property which was rat infested. And you know that to be true, as in you went in there and there were rats? Or yes, the... I, I, and there were rats literally running across the yard because of the piles of rubbish bags stacked on all three sides around the property. So they actually offered you a premises that hadn't been cleaned? Oh, the, the inside was of the premises were cleaned. Yeah. However, the outside was okay. rat infested. Okay. Like where I I could not bring my newborn. Okay, okay. Do you do you, I mean hindsight's a wonderful thing, but do you regret that now? Uh, I don't know if I do regret. I I don't feel regretting 
turning down rat infested place. I know. Okay. Which, I- if the rubbish would have been on the site, which I could clean, then I could take care of it. Whereas the rubbish piles were stacked around, I understand. I understand. Out of my reach. So what? So what? Are you, what are you going there. to do now? What? Like I mean, I've I've no problem contacting Mallow County Council Housing, but I do that for anybody, you included. I don't know that it will make a blind bit of difference. Um, you're very sick. Are you intending now to bring yourself and all of your possessions to Cork City? Uh, I will. Literally, now uh, we'll go back in council offices and ask if there is any changes. Because driving blind somewhere is not a good option either for me. I kind of have to know where I'm going, at least. Yeah, if but I if you if you end up now sleeping in your car going forward um, in, no, the co- no, in the cold I, nights... I, I, yeah, that, that can't happen. I I I have my uh, my hematology. I have the, the hematology experts gave me the mobile number in case if anything goes. I can give them direct call. And the, it seems that only option for me to go in hospital. Yeah, if you don't go to hospital and you do go into your car minutes. and you stay in the car on these very cold nights. Uh, and nobody knows where you are in the car, there's a chance that you will die. Yes. Okay. Okay. Are you going to go back in? Are you going to go back into... It's only a matter of time. It's only a matter of time, what, before you'll die? Yes. You think this will kill you anyway? No, if I'm out in a cold, I understand. I understand. Then it's it, only a matter of time. Did you tell? Did you tell them all of that this morning? Uh, no, they would not listen this morning. They only told me there is nothing, and they uh, took my details and turned away. So I'm kind of hoping that something might change, and I will go back and ask them if there is any changes or not. And if there is no changes until like midday then I have to go somewhere wherever see if there is anything in the city where they tell me that there might be something they don't even know if there is there might be but have they said to you this morning that they're checking this morning and you're to call back in before 12 o'clock no Okay. they did not tell me they just told me there is nothing available Okay. Because you sound to me as if you're a very kind of quiet man, you know? You you don't, you know, imagine you don't get worked up or, you know, you you, you sound like a very quiet, reserved, private kind of a chap. Um, I, I, would go, I would go back into them, for sure I would, and tell them about your medical condition. Yeah, and they and I will suggest them to double-check my records because all those records are in the council. Yeah, you want to you want to tell them about your medical condition this morning and tell them that this condition and you have medical papers and GPs and hospital letters to back it all up. You need to you need to show them all of that and say that if you end up sleeping in your car, uh, that you will it could lead to hospitalisation at best or death during the night at worst. Yes. 
Will you do that's that? That's what I will do. Okay. Yes, that's what I will do. Okay. Now, there are organisations that can help. And while you're doing that, and do come back to me and let me know how that goes between now and maybe quarter to midday. But there are organisations like Focus Ireland. They provide fo- they provide help to uh, people who are homeless and they're here in, in Cork City. I think they're either on the Mall or, or, or the Grand Parade. Um, and I'll get somebody to give them a call as well. Um, but just go in and see if that makes any difference when you talk to the staff in Mallow, all right? Yes, of course. Okay. And, and like like you saying that there are like uh, service in Cork City, where I appreciate that. I never knew because I asked council what are my other options. I, I was not even told that there are any other options. Well, I mean, I, they work with people who are homeless or um, in Ireland um, and uh, I'm, not, I'm not saying they can get you somewhere, but they, they're, they're oh. the professionals in this, victims of, of homelessness and, and those that find themselves without a roof over their head. There, is, yes. there are organisations in Cork City, including the Simon and Vincent de Paul, um, who also help people. That involves going into shelter um you know getting a bed in in simon and things it wouldn't be it wouldn't yeah. be ideal for you and your medical condition um but you firstly you don't yeah. know who might be listening to me right now who might be able to help you yeah. and and secondly you need to go back in and try and make a better case for yourself and see what they say when they hear of your medical condition and what potentially will happen to you if you don't find somewhere to stay all right yes of course Okay. Well, okay. 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 Go, 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 and do that, um, and we'll chat again before midday. Okay. Okay. Thank you very much. Okay, Ivor. Okay. Thanks for now. Cheers. Uh, we'll revisit okay. this. Uh, hopefully, uh, might be able to help in some way, shape, or form. Well, you never know who might be listening. Who might want to help? Text oh eight six eight one zero four one zero six. We revisit this again in the next hour or so. Back after the break. Text or WhatsApp Neil now 0868 104 106. The Neil Prenderville Show on Red FM. Very sad for any person, really and truly it is. The life and times uh, of living in Ireland in 2024. Yesterday at 5 o'clock, um, many different people got involved in the rescue of a gentleman who fell over the railings and into the water near Merchant's Quay. It was around about 5 o'clock. We know of Kieran, Keith Donahue he was one of those that threw the life ring he was with a guy called Zach Noon Zinedine uh, who was working nearby at the time they threw the life ring into the water those that were in the water actually doing the rescue we also found out the name of the third man a fellow by the name of Richard Lee um, and uh, we uh, spoke about him earlier on this morning there was a fourth man by the name of Owen O'Connor um, and he joins me by phone uh, because he was one of those that was in the water yesterday participating and saving uh, this man's life and he joins me by phone Owen good morning thank you so much for taking the call good morning to you um, Hi, good morning How so are you? What, what were you incidentally um, people were singing your praises this morning we know that you're a vet they also said you were a lifeguard but apparently you're not a lifeguard but you but you are a vet you are a vet but what were you doing yesterday yeah uh, yeah. I'm just uh, walking home from uh, uh, uh uh, Martians or Penrose Wharf I should say um, was with a friend setting up my business basically and was on the phone to a friend and just looked across directly across the river and I saw a lifebuoy being thrown into the water and what I thought initially was that it was some people messing like that were after stealing a lifebuoy and the splash that the lifebuoy made on the water I soon realised then it was actually a man's arms flailing in, in the water um, so I just basically sprinted across the bridge to where it was happening and just ahead of me 
uh, I saw uh, one guy, the, the, the man you mentioned, jumped into the water. Keith Donaghy. Yeah. Keith Donaghy, yeah. He's yeah. a legend. Big shout out to him. Yeah. And um, basically, I just got my jacket off, and when I looked down, it looked to me that I thought the guy was going to sink under the water. And just split second, basically, if I realised that that had happened, there was no getting them back. So I just jumped in with all my clothes on, and uh, myself and Keith got him onto the the life boy. And uh, he was a bit shocked because it was quite low tide, so we were quite far down. And um, I was trying to figure out where the nearest steps were, which I could only see some steps that were further upriver. Um, so basically, we started. Um, I was pulling him from the top and Keith was pushing him from the back and there was um, the other man was holding the rope at, at the bank and it was quite a you know, team effort between pulling um, the rope and then the two of us then trying to drag him in the water up to the where the steps were. Was it cold? But <laughs> yeah, it was uh, absolutely freezing. It's a bit of... Um, yeah, takes your breath away when you jump in. You so see, shock, yeah, so shock could have been an issue as well. Thankfully, thankfully for it wasn't sure. for you guys, but as in freezing yeah. cold water. Yeah. It was freezing, but and, and each time the kind of rope pulled against the, the current, the kind of water was washing over your head at some stages, and even at one point, the guy, the man who was drowning, hand got on my head and he, he dunked m- myself under the water, which was becoming more difficult. I soon realised I needed to get my clothes off because I, it was so difficult to swim with my runners and everything on. So I moved away a little bit and was able to get my, my runners and then trying to get my jeans off was pretty difficult. Yeah. Um, someone someone threw another lifebuoy to me which kept me uh, afloat a little bit while I got my sleeves and my t-shirt and everything off. Oh my God, I so your shoes, it, your jeans and your top? Shoes, jeans, fleece and the t-shirt to get it all off in the water. And then I was able to use the life boy, the other life boy, as kind of a bodyboard, and then paddle that and kick, kick my legs and paddle up river then to again to where they were, and I suppose this, then team effort again, just assisting in the last. But it seems a bit of a. I won't go into the detail now because obviously it's very upsetting, particularly for the misfortunate who fell into the water first day. But were you panicking at some stage that this was, this may not end well? Um. I suppose it wasn't panicking, it was just trying to figure out what's the best way of resolving this problem that we were found ourselves in. But, um, yeah, it was tricky. It was especially really, really tricky uh, with trying to swim with all the clothing on, and especially when the guy was panicking and he was kind of, he could pull you down, you know, not, you know, just out of panic. I know, absolutely. That was tricky. But once I ditched the ditched all my clothes, it was a lot easier to swim. But um, it was all around, it was tricky. And, in hindsight, it would have been probably better to float down the river, even though you would have had to go under the bridge to the nearest point down that way rather than swimming again. Yeah, but God knows what would happen if you did that. But anyway, at least exactly. Zach Noon, Zach Noon, and Keith were pulling you guys yeah. to the rope and was pulling, of course, pulling yeah. the life ring closer and closer. And you got him to the steps and got him out. And at that stage, yeah. you also came out and Keith came out, right? Yeah, yeah, we did, we did. And look, massive, he's absolute legend. Keith going in the water. He's a great swimmer as well, fair play to him. And the guy's on. Sorry, my, my apologies, actually. my can you, just sort, can you sort that? I think I'm just after messing up a phone line there. And actually what happened there, but I had him there a second ago and 
want to talk to him again. I was actually looking for uh, Keith, who was supposed to be back on line one, but he but he's not. So uh, we can maybe get him back on line one. But while all of that is happening, just get Rowan back again and and pull Keith in at this stage, just to just to wrap this one up. Both of them, of course, went into the water. Um, Keith didn't take his clothes off. He managed to keep his on, but certainly Owen did, which leads me to believe that he actually ended up coming up on to the path in his in his boxers or his or his, his underwear. Um, is, is that the case that you actually then climbed out of the water and were just in your boxers? Yeah, I was standing there in the middle of Patrick Street my, just in my boxers, soaking wet. <laughs> yeah, a lot of people around. I didn't realise, obviously, how many people were there until the aftermath, but um wasn't what I was expecting. Just basically, not, yeah, on a day, I was just going about my business when I was get my own thing going and found myself in that situation. So, yeah, but freezing yeah. cold water, getting out in just your boxers, an issue there could be hypothermia. Did you get... Yeah, no. Did, yeah, did I was, you? yeah, no. The ambulance crew were, were really great. They were really good. They what, they gi- what did they give you? Uh, just trying to warm me up. I think my temperature was 34 degrees or something, so I was just really, really cold. How um, do they do that? Do they give you blankets or do they put you... This yeah, a load of blankets and um, kind of a foil wrap. A and foil wrap. They were able to give you this sort of almost like... Um, a hot water bottle was basically warm up reasonably quickly. I kind of, yeah, it was a lot of exertion of energy, so I had that sort of feeling of nausea for a little bit after. But <laughs> so, so where, where did you go? Because yourself and Keith just headed off about your business. Where where did you actually go? I was just, I, I went home for a shower and a bath. And, um, wait, wait a second, how, how did you get home? You had no clothes. <laughs> well, the ambulance crew were able to bring me somewhat towards the mercy and then my wife was able to um, grab me and, and bring me the rest of the way. What, and, did, she uh, what did she think? What did she think of your exploits? <laughs> she was a bit in shock, I suppose. <laughs> yeah, but um, yeah, another day. Yeah, Chris, you, cra- you crazy man, you hero. Yeah, <laughs> uh, sure. <look. laughs> oh my God, oh my God. Hang on a second, I got Keith back here. Keith. Hello. Now I have the entire full story. I've got Richard yes. Lee. I've got Zach Noon, Zinedan. I've got you, That's Keith good. Donaghy. And now I eventually have Owen O'Connor as well, your fellow rescuer. <laughs> That's good. That's good. That's good. Legend, sir, Keith. Legend. Nice one. You too, brother. Well done, Ken. Are you. Yeah, are, are, are either of you in uh, the market for a bit of new clobber, lads? <laughs> I actually just went to buy a new pair of shoes this morning. But <laughs> did you buy them yet? <laughs> I actually did. Yeah, I All right, okay. Well, don't we, we won't hold, we won't hold that against you. Hold on there. I got Andrew Ray. He's a good buddy of mine. Good buddy of this program. He's the company director of Simply Suits out in the commercial uh, Kinsale Road Commercial Centre. They do great clobbering. And he joins me by phone. We reached out to him this morning. Andrew. Hi Neil. How are you? What an incredible couple of guys, Owen and Keith. What do you think of that story? Yeah, absolutely unbelievable. Like, I mean, I know, like, we we obviously have various emergency services in the country which probably don't get the recognition that they deserve in their own right, but to have just a couple of bystanders to selflessly fire themselves into a river, which isn't necessarily the cleanest water in the world to be or the warmest either for that else matter, is, yeah, yeah. yeah, absolutely incredible. So I would like to offer you the opportunity um, once they're, I'm sure they're all showered and cleaned up and shampooed to, <laughs> s- to send them out to you for a bit of suiting and booting with a bit of cash clobber, I think. What do you think of that? Yeah, which, whichever way the boys want to do it. Obviously, we have a full range of, of, of suits and formal wear, but we also have smart casual like jeans and shirts and jumpers and coats and jackets, shoes, that kind of stuff. So 
whatever we can replace for the lads, we'll replace for them. Okay, Owen, are you are you smart cash or are you suit kind of a dude? Uh, usually a bit of smart cash, but there's always job wedding coming up. Really appreciate it. What about you, Keith? Are you a suit man or are you smart cash? I'd be suited and booted, so I would. Would you really? Fair play. Okay. I would indeed. I well, would indeed. Well, would okay. both of you like to go and visit Andrew and his wonderful staff at Simply Suits? Yes, yeah, why not? Why not? He's yeah. a typical Cork fashion. <laughs> I know you do. I know both of you really appreciate it. And yeah. I appreciate Andrew getting on board as well. Because you yeah, are two heroes. Okay, like. What? I'm just happy he's okay. Like, oh, totally. Yeah. You said that already, you know Keith. I mean? You said it earlier that he gets the help We're that off. he needs. Yeah, absolutely. That's the And our thoughts are with that poor yeah. misfortune man. If there's anything we can do to help him, I'd be very happy yeah. to do so. But in the meantime, as a way of saying thank you to, thank you to Owen and to Keith, Andrew would like you guys to call out and get some gear, all right? Uh, Brilliant. Yes. Job well Thanks done so yesterday, much. gentlemen. Well done. Andrew, thank you Thanks so much as always. I appreciate your intervention, my man. Thank you. No problem at all. Thanks a million, guys. Take care. So, yeah, to please. Keith Donaghy, take care, Keith. Take care, Owen. And thank you to Andrew. That's wonderful. And, and you know what? Keith is absolutely right. I hope the person who actually was in the centre of all of this gets the help that he needs because we all need a bit of. You know, I think. What, what can you say about the most important. Um, I suppose, way of life or accolade that anybody can say, and that is to be kind. And that's what Owen and Keith, and indeed, for that matter, Richard Lee and Zach Noon Zinedine were yesterday, Andrew Ray and Simply Suits and everybody else. Um, So that's lovely. I'm happy to be able to reward the guys with something nice like that, but that the gentleman involved gets the help that he now needs. Uh, Lovely way to wrap up that story, and well done to all involved. Thank you for getting involved, Andrew. Text 0868 104 106. We'll come back after the break. Call Neil now. 0818 104 106. The Neil Prenderville Show on Red FM. Yes, indeed. Text 0868 104 106. That's what people have been doing. Uh, Can I also acknowledge a lot of other emails and texts on different topics? This is an interesting one, just this side of 11. I wonder if you could be able to bring up a topic for discussion on your show. I am self-employed. I have a limited company. I have employed people and contractors and also paid all of my due taxes, all of my VAT for the last 25 years. So working away, 25 years, self-employed, doing everything right. I hurt my knee a few weeks ago and I am now unable to work. So my company has to close until I am better. As it's a family business, I got a doctor's cert and I've now been told that I'm entitled to zero help. And I would have to be means tested to apply for illness assistance. After 25 years, this is the treatment I get. I have never in 25 years looked for anything. People arrive into this country, get everything handed to them on a plate. And I'm not in the least bit racist, but what kind of a government, what kind of a system do we have? I'm almost 60 years of age and I won't go cap in hand to be means tested to beg a system I pay into and I've paid to into all of my life. I'm really at my wits end with the way self-employed people are treated. When I do get back to work, I'll treat them the same way they treated me. I know people will say, ah, yeah, sure, they're well off, the self-employed, but I work 70 hours a week. No one sees that when you're dependent on just you. I'd appreciate it if you would withhold my details. I would just like to bring this to your listeners' attention to get their views on 21st century Ireland. Now, I'm interested to know what will you do? You say, when you go back to work, I'll treat them the same way they treated me. Uh, how, how will that work, really, with regards to your 
legal in your legal responsibilities to taxes and VAT and returning all of the stuff that you need to do as a, as a limited company. I, I don't know, is that what you're suggesting? But I do understand as to why you are so damn angry that you should not have to be means tested for this. You should have social assistance now. You should automatically qualify for some kind of what we used to call social welfare payment until you are back to work again. Isn't that the whole reason why you've been paying all of your taxes and your PRSI and your income tax contributions all of those years? But that's the way it is, you see. It's the ones that are working and working hard. You know, and I mean, you can tie that into all sorts of different facets of our societies. You're 25 years employing people, paying all of their taxes and they're paying theirs and you're paying all of yours, your PRSI, your capital gains tax, your corporation tax, your VAT, everything. God knows there are so many when you run a company. Is it any wonder so many are closing? And then when you need help to get some of your own money back that you paid into the system that was in there to help you if you needed it, uh, you can't get it. It's all wrong. And all too often we don't realise when we talk about things like the HSE paying 400 in a in a, in a in a walkaway package for a member of staff it's in the job maybe seven years or something, maybe even less. And then all of this money that RTU are paying in these little sweetheart deals, the um, the golden handshakes, or as was described recently by a, a politician up in Dollar and the golden showers. Um, then we, it's, But it's not a laughing matter. Um, that's public's money. I mean, it's not as if, if these were private companies behaving in that matter, I wouldn't give a damn. It's their money. They're going to spend it whatever they want. They earned it, they can blow it. But when it's public's money, it's a totally different story entirely. I mean, they talk about full transparency. We don't have full transparency. But anyway, that's tax. That's tax for you. You pay into a system and then, as in this gentleman, when he needs it, he can't get it. It's very wrong. It really and truly does um, make no sense at all. Your thoughts on that are welcome. Text 0868104106. And then, actually, this is quite interesting because I know we're talking about the referendum next week, but let me just mention this just ahead of the, the news at 11. Um, because I was that soldier got an email in saying I've been in church for the first time in a long time and I noticed something that's a bit strange to say the least the first holy communants were having their mass all of the parents were there it was a great celebration for the kids but what I found strange was that instead of making their first confession in the confessional the kids went up to the altar two by two to confess their sins to the priest can I ask the question, is the confessional now decommissioned? Um, and I was interested in that, actually. Uh, and I'll tell you why in a second. But anyway, no, the confessionals are not decommissioned. But apparently, maybe you just haven't been to church in a long time or you haven't been at a Holy Communion celebration because they make their first confession in front of the priest. And it's been that way for a long time now. Uh, since then... Uh, the 90s anyway, the focus has been on celebrating the communion as part of the community and celebrating the confessing of sins in the community. Twelve months after the child has received their Holy Communion, they are then introduced to the confessional box. So the confession boxes still are alive and kicking, as the fellow says, which I find quite interesting because the other morning when I was off, I was up at Cork Courthouse and what have you, it was a little early, so I had a bit of a stroll around and I went into... Um, is it Father Matthew Church, the one there on, on, on Liberty Street? You know, the big, huge, it's massive inside. It's massive, massive church. Imagine a church like that was built so big because there was a time when it would be full and might have been full four or five times a day on a Sunday morning. I think maybe it could take 700, 800, maybe 1,000 people. In there. It is massive. It's got 15 confessional boxes, at least. So... In each one of them, beautifully ornate and wooden. So in the middle of each of them, you have where the priest sits. 
left and right, you have the two confessional boxes. So when you add them all up, there's at least 15 of them. 15 multiplied by two. I mean, it's like incredible. Wondering how many of them are actually used on a, on a daily basis. Just thinking out loud. Text 0868104106. We're back after 11. The Neil Prenderville Show on Red FM. Conversation that matters. Uh, you know, the way people listen to radio, of course, is changing all of the time. I'm constantly meeting people who are out and about and they're going out and having a walk or they're listening on the app. And I just want to remind you that if you want to do that, you can also do that by getting involved in the Go Loud app. You can take Red FM wherever you go, making sure that you have the Red FM app on your phone. It's powered by Go Loud. So just uh, get onto the Go Loud app, pop in your email address. And you get access to tons of amazing free content, radio, podcasts, streams. But most importantly, you can listen to Red FM and my own podcast on a daily basis on the Go Loud app. So go check that out if you're on the move and mobile. Uh, for all of the business, text 0868104106. Interestingly, I know we talk from time to time and there was a text earlier on talking about the numbers of people, say, coming into the country and having nowhere for them to live or to go. Uh, all too often we hear of people coming in who either have lost their passport or don't have it or, you know, arrive at Dublin Airport without any documentation. Um, I'm mentioning that again because an immigrant who arrived into Dublin Airport recently from Luxembourg was jailed this week for not having ID. Is it a case, says Pad, uh, that the system or the government system or the government policy has changed in this matter? Uh, No, I don't think so. I think it's more to do with how the judges view it. And I am aware of the story because it was in the examiner during the week. It was a Syrian man who was arrested at Dublin Airport after he, in inverted commas, lost his passport on a flight from Luxembourg. So he got jailed for two months. Dublin District Court heard that Ramsey Marouan, a 31-year-old, came to Ireland for a better life, but the guards established that he had previously turned up in Iceland and also sought international protection in Bulgaria and eventually came here. So the judge said, she said she was sure he had papers or a passport when he got on the plane in Luxembourg, but he didn't have them any longer. The judge said, she said, he's not the first man to do this. She said there has to be a deterrent. People cannot come into the country without their ID in those situations where they had ID leaving. And it seems they lose everything in the meantime. He pleaded guilty to breaching the Immigration Act. His solicitor said, I've had clients in the past arriving in similar circumstances and they went into the asylum process. He was asking the question, why would this be different? But the judge jailed him uh, for two months now. I'm not suggesting he'll spend two months in jail. I also don't know what happens to this Syrian man when he comes out of jail as to whether he is then allowed to stay or whether he will be deported. Um, I imagine people are listening to this suggesting that he should never have been in court and he should never have been in jail that he should have been deported straight away having presented without papers like if you went into a country and got off the plane without papers I wonder how you would be treated fair idea as to how you'd be treated but anyway I give you that one by way of example text 0868104106 listen I was mentioning yesterday that we have a great summer ahead of us and I want to do this now because it's a Friday and it's a real feel good story so coming up for Live in the Marquee and indeed uh, Virgin Media Park well in Live in the Marquee so far so far we know about the Sugar Babes the Coronas Gavin James I'm not giving you the full lineup. Van Morrison John Bishop is back on tour um, Damien Dempsey will play that's going to be a great gig. I think Damien Dempsey's a superstar. Brian Adams, Jenny Green will be there, Christy Moore, Mick Flannery back in town with Susan O'Neill. Biggest Disco. That's just a selection from 
uh, live at the Marquee. Over in Virgin Media Park, the old Musgrave Park, Becky Hill, picture this, Sting, take that, Crowded House, The Water Boys, Key and Crow, The Wolf Tones. I mean, it's just rockin' the lineup for this summer in both of those venues. I want to chat after the break with a man by the name of Paul Charles. He's a music promoter and he's worked along with, alongside some of the all-time greats. He's worked with Fleetwood Mac in the past. He's worked with the Rolling Stones. He's worked with Rory Gallagher. He's worked with Van Morrison, who's on Leaside this summer. Big long list. He's just written a book called Adventures in Wonderland. He had an incredible, incredible beginning, actually, north of the border, and it took him to all sorts of unlikely places. He's the music promoter, Paul Charles. I'll chat with him next. The Neil Prendival Show on Red FM. Conversation that matters. Paul Charles, good morning to you. Good morning. Good morning, Neil. How are you doing? I'm good, and I'm all the better. I read your book, Adventures in Wonderland, and for anyone that loves their music, or indeed all of the different decades and generations of music, it's a super read. It really is. Um, So well done on that. But before we talk about your fantastic back catalogue of um, acts and artists that you promoted, there's a lovely story at the start of the book where you had your first introduction to music. I think you were... I think you described it as being 14 years old and ambushed by the Beatles, am I right? Yeah, correct, yes. I went into, I went into my mum's kitchen and she was busy because she was a big fan of um, Frank Sinatra uh, and Emil Ford and, and, the, and the Playmates and she'd be always listening out for these, you know, Tony Bennett as well. So she'd always have the radio on and hope that one of these three artists would come on and so I w- w- walked in. And up to that stage, you know, if it was something on the radio or whatever, that I liked, I was okay with it, but 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 I did not like stuff. I just pretty much could ignore it. And and this moment, this time, I walked in. There was this sound on the radio that was just totally infectious, very melodic, very pleasing, very made you feel good about yourself. Yeah. You know, and 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 it turned out to to be the Beatles and, and please please me. And and a, com- um, and and a completely, I mean. I wasn't there for that, okay? So I wasn't at the cusp of musical historical change like you were. A completely new sound, right? Oh, no, no, totally. I mean, again, and, and it's, the, the whole big thing about it was really, was the backdrop of what they were coming out of made it all the more. Like, there was, you know, there's always, in each in each new era of music, there's always different things come along. But, but rarely do you get something that comes along and that comes out of a, an existing system that's so much different and so much better. Because usually the kind of the the old school, if you will, will kind of will close things down or, or not give it the chance or not give it the opportunity to be on the radio. But they were just so good. People couldn't ignore them. Yeah. People couldn't, yeah. you know, make, make them tie by whatever it did. And, and, and it kind of worked very quickly. And the, the, the weird thing that I found out or thought about afterwards was that I, I, it wasn't just me behaving like that. It was like, you know, hundreds of thousands of people up and down the length and breadth of the country and then into Europe and then into America experienced exactly the same thing. It, it really did have the ability to make you feel great about yourself. And, and I know that's a weird thing to say. No, not really. But, but you, put it re- you put it really well because I'd imagine up until then, music, no disrespect to, the, disrespect to those that were performing, but it was probably quite sedate. No, it was, and it was kind of, it was, you know, it, you know, it was, it, 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 I was uh, interested in it only because I saw how my mum reacted to Frank Sinatra, like it was kind of just, you know, that she would be kind of, you know, not swooning particularly, although she did swoon over <laughs> Emil Ford, but it was just that thing about, you know, it, it was like liking something from a distance, yeah. whereas the Beatle thing, the, that Beatle thing, that 
literally, physically, spiritually, mentally grabbed you by the throat yeah. and defied you, defied you not to be engaged with yeah. them. And it did grab you by the throat, so much so that in the book, I don't want to give away all of the book because I really would encourage people to pick it up for themselves, but as a 14-year-old boy, or maybe a little older, you decided you were going to be a musical promoter. And is it true you used the public phone box on your street in Maharafelt as your office? <laughs> I, no, I, I did. I literally did because we didn't. We didn't have a phone in those days. I mean, in those days as well. I mean, I, I, the reason why I, the reason why I started to do that, Neil, was because I was hanging out with a bunch of mates of mine, a bunch of schoolmates, uh, and and they all paired off to form a group. And I couldn't. I had none of the three basic requirements for being in a group in those days. Was that fruit? Thing, that was no. That was before. I was blues by five. Right. Okay. Uh, and the, so the basic requirements was you could either sing, or you could play an instrument, which <laughs> I could do neither. Or your dad had a car that would and was willing to ferry the group around from gig to gig. <laughs> and my dad had a scooter, and that that was just not going to work out. So, but, but however, I did know this gentleman who lived two doors down from me called Dixie Kerr, and he played the saxophone on a show band. So I went and knocked on the door and said, Dixie, would you ever do us a favour? Would you give this these mates of mine? you know, a, a couple of bookings supporting the breakaways at Showband. He said, yeah, of course. And he took out the diary the way he used to do in those days, and he gave me three dates. So I went to hold the Blues by five, I've got you three dates. And they said, OK, you're our manager. And that, that really was happening. <laughs> so yeah, the phone would ring, the phone box would ring on your street. Yep. And would a neighbour run to fetch you then or something? <laughs> no, what, no, what happened, the phone would ring and it would keep on ringing until somebody was walking past the phone box. they lift the phone and say hello and they'd say, OK, we speak to Paul Charles. They'd knock on my window, the window of the house, and invariably my mother would say, they'd say, okay, Mr. Charles, there's a phone call for, for Paul. And they'd say, could you go and tell him he's having his tea and he'll ring them later, you know? <laughs> uh, uh, and then, but then the other thing was that I discovered that if they, if uh, if I wasn't having tea and I could go immediately with my mom's permission, um, I knew that if they were still waiting for me by the time I got back to the phone box, it was a definite booking because they must have been you know, they must have been keen, otherwise they'd have gone long gone by then. <laughs> and and soon after that then, I mean, I know, I know I'm jumping ahead quite a bit, but the, the the bigger acts started to come. Was that was that Van Morrison, for instance, as an example? Uh, well, yeah, I was a big fan of Vans, and, and, and very big fan of Vans. And I remember, like, you know, I, being, being in Australia, I was kind of, I was so proud whenever them became the first Northern Irish group to get into the UK uh, top 30 and they actually went to number two with Here Comes Tonight. Uh, and then when I came over to England, I would kind of follow Van from a distance. He'd left and he'd gone to America and blah, blah, blah. And then I, and then I discovered this master work called Astro Weeks, which I still think is one of the best albums ever made, if not the one. And so I kind of, I was, you know, building up, I was doing, Trump came over, I was doing gigs for them. I was kind of started to get some of the punk bands. I was making a bit of progress. But then I went to see Van doing a showcase uh, and I kind of, and he was brilliant, and he was great, but they were, they were still in a wee small club, and it was just a show, they weren't doing any gigs. So I rang up his manager, who I knew, um, and, and you know, a guy called Harvey Goldsmith, and I said, look, Van hasn't been to, to Ireland since, since uh, you know, since he left, they, they would go to America after he left them. Uh, you know, can we get, because I had an Irish university circuit mm. lined up, including, including, we would do Cork as well with, mm. with uh, Elvira Butler, Um and so, you know, he said, yeah, let me check it out. So anyway, the usual thing happened, cut a long story short. He was no longer the manager. The manager was in a guy called Bill Graham. I rang up Bill Graham and explained that I had a few dates, pencil for van and blah, blah, blah. And he said, look, Paul, it's all very well. And, and you know, I'm sure you'd love to go over, but 
with an American band, we just couldn't afford to go over and do some, some gigs in Ireland. And so at this stage in my career, I'd never ever promoted a gig in England, a single gig, but I crossed my fingers, put them behind my back, and said, well, look, I'll promote all of the English tour, you know. And and they said, okay, let's, let's see some figures in a routine. And then somebody that was Van's project manager rang back later on that evening and said, look, we have to tell you that we do work with two other promoters in London, and, and to be fair, we really have to give them a chance as well. So I kind of said no problem, and I didn't realize afterwards that they were actually giving me bad news. But anyway, I put together a tour, and my tour was based on the fact that everybody that I knew in my world already had Astro Week. Some some of us had already been on through two copies of it. So yeah. I thought, okay. And I, so I pitched my offer very high, uh, and it turned out that they, you know, they gave the offers to Van, and they came back and see if Van's up for doing it. But, but I later discovered that he wasn't doing it because it was the best offer. I was doing it because I used to write for Northern Irish music papers, and I would always, I was a big fan of Van there, and I was always uh-huh. writing about him and his record, whatever. And anyway, I, I went to see this uh, guy, Herbie, Herbie Armstrong, doing a show in London, and he played a song called Friday's Child, and he t- announced it as a Van Morrison original. I never, I thought I was a Van fan. And anyway, so I wrote in my next week column. I said, look, you know, I heard this beautiful song. It's a Van Morrison. If anybody knows how I can get a hold of a copy of it, you know, please let me know. So the next week, a package arrives in the office, and inside the package is a copy of Major Minor, Glory on one side and Friday's Child on the other. And there's a letter, and the letter's from Van's mum. And she writes a letter only a mum could write and thanking me for my write-ups or whatever. And it turned out... It turned out whenever Van saw my name on the offer, he recognized it from his mum telling him about me. So, and that was why he said yes to it. So, so you always, you, he, he's right, he's right. You always do what your mum tells you then. Exactly, exactly. <laughs> You're very loyal though. I mean, I, I, know, I know of the gig that you did when you brought Gallagher to the Mountain Dew Festival in 77 because I was there and it was a beautiful... Oh, right. Yeah, it was a be- I was only like 14, 15. I think I hopped on a bus and headed to McCroom. But it's, it stayed wow. with me forever because if you would call it, it was a fantastic setting. It was a big it was a big gamble for the town and the men behind it. But it was a gloriously sunny day. It was just a great gig, wasn't it? Yeah. Yeah, no, it was magic. Totally. I mean, but that was the thing about Rory, though. I mean, Rory, you know... Uh, you know, talking about Irish grapes, he's he's up there, if not at the top. Because the thing with Rory is that when he walked on stage, wherever it was, McCrin or or Kelly's in Port Royce or whatever, and he plugged in his guitar, like it's like he was plugging himself into the main. Oh, he was just so so electric. It was so incredible. And and the other thing about Rory is that he didn't play to an audience he yeah. played with them yeah. uh, to the degree that when you went to a Rory gig after the gig you would be as exhausted as the band were you know um, because he was just he, he would totally because it was just it was like it wasn't he kind of go you know you could look at your fingers and talk to your mates when he was playing everybody but everybody that was there would just kind of totally engrossed in what was happening yeah, on, yeah. on the stage you know. But for, but in in private life though because you obviously got to know him he, he was notoriously shy and quiet wasn't he? He was very shy and very quiet, but he, he was a gentleman, a, a total gentleman, you know, a, a real, real, decent Irish gentleman. And he was very, very shy, painfully shy, I always thought. Uh, and we'd, we'd, I'd meet with him and his brother Donald uh, when we were working with him. Uh, and, and, you know, we'd be, we'd, we'd be meant to meet and have a talk about tours and stuff and gigs and what gigs we were going to be doing. 
and within about five minutes we'd have a defence of that and he was so Rory was so well read on American crime fiction yeah. uh, and so the so the conversations would either go off it would either be that or it would be what Van Morrison or Bob Dylan was doing in their career at that point <laughs> God you had amazing insight into the life and times of these people not just Gallagher or Van Morrison you were 30, 34 years promoting Jackson Brown you did Carly Simon yep. you did Mark Knopfler Crosby stills and Nash I mean working with the likes of David Crosby that must have been difficult because he was one wild cat yeah, I mean, I, I, you know, the thing about David is he he was, even when he was in his trouble period, uh, even to the degree that, you know, as the show started, two roadies would have to take him to his microphone and point him to his microphone. Wow. Uh, and he would, but he would stay there and I swear to you, Neil, he would sing sweet as a bird oh, all night long. Oh, voice, unbelievable uh, voice. And, and, then, and then the two roadies would come back and take him off stage again at the end of the night. But yeah. that's a he misfortune, that, you know, isn't that a misfortune to observe? You're, you're seeing the music industry warts and all there you are, aren't you? The drinks Oh yes, the drugs, no, totally, yeah. The drink and the yeah, drug, yeah. Um, the consequences. But, 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 but you know what? He, he was high from a different thing whenever him and Stephen and Graham were singing, when they were singing together, that totally turned him, uh, turned all of them on. That was such a beautiful, I mean, I personally always have thought that the, the sound of those three voices is the best three voices since George, Paul, and John. It's just so soulful, so, so brilliant. Crosby was a very, very, very funny man. I remember one night he was asked, Maxie's in the dressing room, he was asked, so what's the main difference between Crosby, Stills, Nash, and Young, and Crosby, Stills, and Nash? And he said, oh, about $650,000 a night. <laughs> there was no love lost there, so there wasn't. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, you put so many people on stage. If I can reference the years of the Glastonbury acoustic stage and the gigs that you put on it. I could be here. I mean, the list is endless. Robert Plant, Christy Moore, Ray Davies, The Waterboys, Nick Lowe, Hothouse Flowers, John Prine, for God's sake. Um, oh, even, yeah, you know, yeah. I mean, the, the Gilbert O'Sullivan, the Moody Blues. This was in the acoustic stage alone. I mean, Art Garfunkel. Yeah. Like the people you didn't know. I mean, you know, all of those acts and all of those artists, were, are they very demanding people? You know what I mean? Do you have to cater to their every whim you know you don't really and, and, and I'll tell you why the, the people I've been attracted to Neil over the years is, is really great songwriters these, these humans that have this ability to pull from out of nowhere it appears to me you know a, a new song a beautiful song that will move people all, all over the world and so the people that do that the people that, kind of people that are capable of doing that are not the kind of people that rack dressing rooms, are not the kind of people that asked for no red M&Ms in the writer, yeah. are not the kind of people that, that kind of, you know, go go on the tear or whatever. They're people that are, are really just good family people yeah. and they just, you know, they, they go about their life in a decent way and their priority is to, is, is just is to make beautiful music. But I've always been intrigued, though, with this thing about where a song comes from, you know, because one day there's no song there. And the next day, through these people, through these writers, there comes this wonderful thing that that have starts to have a life of their own, and, and and will continue to give people pleasure. I mean, Tom Waits he described. He says, "Look, I I consider I consider my songs to be like my children." I said, "You know, they they, they come along, and then they go off out into the world, and they earn money for me." Yeah. 
But we don't see the hard work. I remember reading an interview with the Eagles. They were staying in an apartment above Jackson Brown. He was on the ground floor. They were on the up floor. Uh, and they said that you would hear him start at four in the morning on the piano, yeah. going over the same piece meticulously over and over. I mean, that's sheer exhaustive hard work. There's no romanticism in that, so there's not. Well, well, there is in a way, you see, because Jackson, that's, that's the kind of person Jackson Brown is. When he's doing that, he's in heaven. It's not work. Okay. It's not a chore. Okay. He's he, he's actually loving it. He's, you know, that, that's, that's, that's the ability he has to lock himself away and just surround himself with music uh, and be part of the music. That was the thing to be, to, you know, to be allowed to be in that perfect position whereby you're part of this process of, of, of bringing the songs out. You know, he was kind of, he'd always be like that. And again, when you listen to his songs, you, and you listen to his records, you know these aren't, these aren't pieces that are thrown together. Mm. These are like, but the same as Paul Simon, mm. you know. I mean, I, I hear, I never worked with Paul Simon, a big fan of his, but I hear these stories about, you know, how he, how he will spend years, years fine-tuning his songs, fine-tuning two or three of the lyrics, you know, two lines of lyrics, and, he, and, he, and they'll sit on cassettes and he'll take them out and he'll work on it and put it back again and he won't allow them to go into his song until he's perfected it to the degree that he wants yeah, to Yeah, I know what you you're know? saying. Yeah, I know what you're saying. I, have, I often wonder, actually, you know, kind of the sub-story to this is to how you agree the amount of money for a gig, how much the artist actually gets paid, does the artist know the figure themselves? I mean, you know, as an example of that in the book, you talk about trying to get the Rolling Stones to Slane for the first time. They came subsequently later, but you put fierce effort into that, you know, the gig that didn't happen, didn't you? Yes, yeah, yeah, and again, it, it ended up not being about money. It ended up being about that there was three things that they wanted to do that I didn't want to do, and one was I felt that there needed to be Irish talent on the bill. Yeah. I felt that was signed of an American sport, but but you know, I, I tried to explain to them that you know there's going to be you know it's going to take all these people like sixty five thousand people or six seven thousand people. It's going to take a long time. Because, so let's put on a couple of good art. Let's put on Paul Brady. Let's put on Moving Hearts or let's put on somebody that, you know, they give it a, uh, and they wanted to use American Act. The other thing was they wanted to do a Sunday. I felt in a small village like Slane, yeah, yeah. bringing, bringing 65,000 people on a day when people are going to their place of worship just wasn't fair. Yeah, yeah. And then the, the final thing is they wanted to have a cross Europe unified ticket price. Uh, and I thought it was too high a ticket price for Dublin. Uh, and so I kind of said, look, if if you do, if you t- t- take the fact that in England and in Germany you're going to lose a certain amount of that that money ticket price in taxes, and Ireland you're not at that stage you didn't, so you're already getting paid more. And I would and so I would go through all the different things. And if I hadn't wanted to compromise with them, then I would have done that. But but my problem was I didn't have any personal investment in the Beatles. Or sorry, in the Stones. Mm. And when I went to school, you were either Beatles fan or a Stones fan. You were, and that's still a question that's asked, isn't it? Beatles or Stones? Yeah. Yeah, and, and but I could never work out why. Why why could I not also be a, a Stones fan? I just, I, I wasn't. But but if I had been, then I would have went to them and I would have compromised or whatever. But because they wanted us to do things I didn't want to do, you and away. no matter what the money was, I just said, look, you know, it's okay. And, and Jamaican did it and did a brilliant job, beautiful job. 
and, 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 and everything was great. Mind you, his son Peter has recently been said that the cost of doing business in Ireland is going to mean that less and less big acts are going to play in Ireland. He gave an example of the cost of insurance for Ed Sheeran's gig north of the border at £1,500 and Ed, Sheeran, Ed Sheeran's insurance south of the border at £75,000. On top of that, the insane hotel prices seems to be indicating that the bigger acts might bypass Ireland more. Uh, yeah, I don't see that happening, Neil, at all. I mean, you know, it's 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 kind of once the wheel was invented that it rolls on, and 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 Jim Macon certainly, you know, maybe single-handedly invented the wheel, which is the Irish live music business. No, I think what happens is um, that basically every new era deals with its own problems, but the problems people want, you know, no matter what recession or whatever, people still want to go to concerts. People still want to go out to concerts and be entertained, and as long as there's that chance, that'll happen. Now, when you're when you're doing your deal as an agent, when you're doing your deal, you, you kind of say, okay, here's what we're going to have for a ticket price. So the ticket price times the capacity of the venue gives you the pot that they're dealing with, yeah, right? Yeah. So you have you have X amount of pounds. So then you then come up and you do your costing. What's it going to cost for the insurance? What's it going to cost for the stage? What's going to whatever? And there's always something left. And whatever is left will be divided up between the promoter and the artist. And that's that's not going to change. If that pot gets a bit smaller, the Ed Sheerans of the world will say, well, you know what? I enjoy being in Ireland and we're selling lots and lots of records and we maybe don't need an extra X thousand pounds or, or euros. Yeah, so we'll go ahead and do it. So I, I, don't, I, don't think it's go, that, I don't think it's going to interfere with it. Can I leave you going back to the act that we began with and that's the Beatles. There's a couple of lovely stories in it. One is quite sad in a way because you wrote to John and Yoko um, a letter explaining, you know, why it would be a good idea for you to manage them and, and do some gigs for them. And you sent that letter very, very soon before he was shot dead. Am I right? Yeah, like I think it was within within a month. Oh my god! Oh my god! Yeah. How tragic is that? Yeah. No. Yeah. Very. Yeah. Do you think it could have happened? Well, you know, the reason I I, I wrote that I mean, obviously I'm a Beatles fan as as we've already discussed, but you know, there was talk. There was it was always talk around that you know you know John was going to be putting out an album. Um, uh, and there was a chance that he was thinking of doing some shows because he'd he'd been to an Elton John show at Madison Square Garden because they did that song together and if it went to number one he promised Elton he'd get up because um, you know John used to get physically sick before he went on stage nerves um, he, 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 he would just get physically sick but anyway he promised Elton he went and he went along and he had the night of his life he really enjoyed it so the word around was that with his new record, he was kind of thinking of, of maybe going out and doing some show. So I, you know, nothing ventured, nothing gained, and it had kind of it had served me well in lots of other instances. Yeah. yeah. So uh, you, your and, your and mantra so, is go big or go home, like. Oh, totally. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> you also you also you also approached Paul McCartney at some stage, did you? And and, and tried to have a conversation with him. Is that right? Oh uh, yeah, well I, I kind of met. Uh, Luckily enough, I met all all of the Beatles apart from John. I kind of saw John live at the at the Rolling Stones uh, rock and roll circus thing. Um, uh, but no, I, I so I met Paul backstage uh, at the Albert Hall, uh, and you know, again, I was introduced to him by, by somebody that used to work with me on Frop, uh, who was then managing him, and you know, he kind of said, okay. You know, this is Paul, a friend of mine, blah, blah, blah. And Paul, very, very friendly. He said, oh, yeah, so what did you do? I said, oh, I'm an agent. 
He said, now that is a very good thing to be. <laughs> what do you think he meant by that? Like that you're well, getting... I think that he meant that you know, no matter what's happening, no matter what was, you know, what was selling, what wasn't selling, the agent was always in the position that he was going to be doing okay. Uh, <laughs> I get it, yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> the agent looks but, after but, but, himself. But there's, 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 there's another great, great, great people story I'll tell you. Um, is that is a quick one? Is that um, there was a mate of mine, you know, a guy called Peter Van Hook, and uh, he went into Abbey Road Studios, and the three surviving people were in there in the canteen. And he said, he thought to himself, look, I've, I've, you know, I'm a fool. I've got to go and you know, introduce myself. And this is a true story. He went up to them and he forgot what his name was. <laughs> he couldn't, he couldn't get, he couldn't get a name out. But anyway, being the Beatles and being that they are special, and they are, we have to remember this thing. They, they were, they were special humans. They were very, very special humans. They made him feel comfortable. They started off a conversation with him, you know, and then eventually they got talking. Did he eventually, uh, and, 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 did, uh, did he eventually and, and, remember and, and, his name? <laughs> I think probably the following day. Uh, <laughs> and then, and, and then, and then, what happened was that then he he said he said so why are you why are you eating in the canteen here? Why don't you go out to a restaurant? And George said, well, we can't. And he said, what do you mean you can't? He said, well, we tried to the other night, and when we walked in the restaurant, there's this waitress walking towards us with two plates of food and when she saw who it was she dropped the plates of food on the floor <laughs> oh my god man you are just a mind of information and stories you've done it all actually I mean I was just thinking about it there before I came on you've done the rock and roll you've done the rock you've done pop you've done punk you did new wave you did country you did blues are you still rocking and still booking is there any any oh, stop course, to your gallop yeah oh totally yeah no totally yeah yeah I mean water boys are out Having a great year at the minute, playing playing as good as I've ever yeah. heard them play. Um, Paul Carrick's out, Nick Lowe's out, uh, Hot House Flowers have just done their biggest UK tour in about ten years. Just finished there last week. Water, no, Boy, no, Water Boys are playing the marquee. Actually, um, uh, saw they're them playing before. the marquee, yeah. and, and it, it, yeah, I mean, but they are on amazing form at the minute. They're just they're just great every night. Single great, they just. He's one of the most popular acts on the festival circuit at the moment. And so are you, in fairness to you. You haven't lost the love of what you do. Uh, it's a pleasure talking to you, Paul. I'd encourage anybody who loves their music or the stories of the, the music industry to buy the book Adventures in Wonderland. Thank you so much for taking the call, my man. Appreciate it. Thanks for being on, Neil. I enjoyed our chat. Cheers, pal. Take care. The Neil Prenderville Show uh, on Red FM. He's a fascinating guy, Paul Charles, the promoter. I hope you enjoy that, particularly if you love your music. If you love your music, stand by for Fiona Kennedy in studio with uh, Billy, and they're going to play us out of a quick chat in a couple of seconds' time. I need to recap, though, from the very start of the program this morning, Ivor, Ivor, who uh, is homeless from this morning with serious medical conditions. In fact, we were in touch with Katrina Toomey to get a steer on how we might be able to help Ivar. She put us on to the APS service in City Hall. Um, that would be the accommodation provision service for the city. Um, and uh, she says that he would have a chronic medical condition that would warrant immediate intervention and attention and an immediate bed. Just a second. I know you're putting your bits together, Kevin. Yeah. Come to you in a second, but I just want to touch base with Ivar again because I asked him to go back in again to Mallow Council offices uh, to see if he could plead his case from the point of view of his very serious cancer condition. Ivor, is it Ivor or Ivor? Sorry, my apologies. Ivor. Ivor, did you go back in and if so, what did they say? Yes, I did went back to, and I was assessed for homelessness and they took my details and promised that they will try to do something. 
today? Uh, yes. Okay. But they didn't they didn't offer that the first time you went in this morning though. Oh no. The first okay. time when I went in there was directly like there is nothing we okay. can do or provide for you. Okay. So you went back in again, explained your case in a little more detail like I suggested, and now they've taken the details yes. and they're they're working on something, are they? That's what they said. They okay. will try to work on okay. something. Okay. They will try to find something. Okay. Well, well, stand stand by, Ivor, because when we get off the air this morning, we'll yeah. we'll drive this on a little bit. So, thank you so much. Uh, keep your phone switched on. Appreciate the call. Um, uh, just want to update to the good people of Cork and indeed your good self as to what my gang have been doing for the last hour and a half. Not a whole lot of time left. So, <laughs> yeah, very, very, very quickly. It's been a really busy morning. Look, um, Seamus got onto Katrine Toomey as you were saying, and APS uh, in. Cork City were saying that he, because he's county he needs to go there we, I contacted the council they sent me the communications we ended up on a switchboard and they transferred us back to housing that led to an answering machine I've left a message asking them to come back to me it's a very urgent situation just underlining again Eva's health conditions um, no answer back that, um, that, again I'm not hogging the limelight or the, the airtime here but city council and county council it's all answering machines it seems okay. to be and okay. it's always whenever it's anything with them okay. it seems to be communications not yeah. the actual being able to speak to people um, Seamus contacted Cancer Support Ireland they have said they have a financial support team, uh, team for people who are in difficulty they also have a team in Cork um, so they're going to look into what they can do to try and help them um, Simon are also on the case Seamus is on the, talk, and on, on the phone with them uh, we got a, a call back from one of their staff members who said they are aware of his case they're going to try and do everything they can to help him um, but at the moment like nobody really has had a, a very like affirmative answer about getting something sorted okay. from working Focus wall. Ireland is Focus here. Ireland we're on the phone to at the moment it's just like in the last we've just been up the walls in the last 20 minutes 25 minutes so that's what we've been we doing lads and I know my apologies I don't have time to talk to you yeah. right now will you please tell Paddy O'Brien I'll talk to him on Monday yes, he of advocates on behalf yeah, of those Paddy's been up. advocating on his behalf as well so, he contacted yeah. the county council when he heard this this morning and stressed the urgency of the situation the woman on the phone said I'll get back to you by before 11 uh, he said no response yeah, and he's just now. texting me back there Paddy just to say that they now have spoken to the gentleman but they won't discuss it with Paddy and that he's Paddy just said Look, I have I'm a good feeling account. I have a good feeling about this I really hope it gets sorted because it sounds like a very this. genuine case yeah. yeah I have a good feeling about this so we'll work away on this when we get off the air and see if we can make a difference that's what we're here for in life isn't it to see if we can make a difference having said that we bring in a woman who's made a difference for <laughs> I don't know we must, Fiona Kenny, we must be pretty much the same age. No, you're much younger than me. Way younger. Way yeah. younger. From, <laughs> was it, was it so? Was it the 80s you started out in the UCC bar? Rocking them. That's it. 70? Yeah. 80s. Still 80s. Right. 80s, yeah. Yeah, yeah. I know, we're around the same. But um, I'll still say I'm 10 years younger than you, Neil. But Come on. It's just a fact. <laughs> Absolutely, there's a lot of people ten years younger than me. I'm I'm amazed how I'm surviving. You were said you said in the examiner during the week that as a what to survive as a woman in the music industry, you have to have strength. So you have to be tough. You do, you do. Are and you tough and resilient beneath I, all that lovely, lovely look on life? Oh, thank you so much. Um, I I think I must be. I think I must be because when I look back, I don't know how I got through all those years. But you know, sometimes I do think I was only saying to Billy Billy Kennedy who's Billy, with me how's today. It going? How's it going? How's it going? You know, maybe I would have been better off getting a day job and just playing music at night or, you know, as my second thing because, you know, being a full-time musician for a woman is very tough and when you have kids 
Forget it. Like, it is so hard. Yeah, and, and, and I'll come back to that aspect in a few minutes' time. Get ready to tune up there, lads. But you, you always refused to join a band. No, no, it wasn't that. I didn't. But you've always known you as a solo artist. No, though. sure. Ah, God, no, I've had bands all the time. I just didn't want to join a show band. That's That was what I was kind of being offered. Was that in, what it was? After, yeah, yeah, when I got my sort of big break and TV and all this. And it was the show bands were still there. And I just wasn't getting into the scene that I wanted to be in. So I took off to the States, you know. But I had bands in the States and I've had bands in Ireland. Okay. Oh, yeah. yeah, yeah oh, yeah. I've always had bands. I love playing with other people. It's so much better. I'd say... I'd love to hear the big sound of you on a stage. Oh, it's great, sure. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I actually posted a picture from 1991 of me with my band for the Tall Ships. I just came across Where it. Where was I? I must have been watching and my hair or something. I don't yeah, remember the band. say you could have been at the dentist. Yeah, I don't maybe know. something like that. <laughs> but, I, but I know. I mean, okay, so solo artist, played in bands, mea culpa, played with some serious stars. John Martin, Carol King, Chris Christopherson. That's right. And the Carol King connection like, is You play, you sang. Amazing. What was it? Um, I actually sang You've Got a Friend with my. Carol in New York. And there's a story that goes with that, but it's for my show, Natural Woman. So I don't want to Give the game All right, away okay. now. Well, we'll come back in a couple of minutes because yeah, there is there a big is a show. Story with that. And this is to do, of course, with celebrating exceptional women in song. That's what the series of gigs is about. But give us a tune. What have you got in mind, yourself and Billy? Thanks, Neil. Um, it's a, uh, the song we're going to do for you. First is kind of inspired by Katrina Toomey, who you mentioned earlier. Nice one. Who is just, you know, she's spearheading Penny Dinners for the last 15 years. I, I know her personally, and she's just an amazing woman. Um, there's two other ladies that we've both done gigs for in the past Edith Wilkins the uh, Edith Wilkins Foundation and Fiona Corcoran from the Greater Chernobyl Cause so the song was inspired really by ladies of that ilk who are incredible let's hear it fast it's sticking in every pore don't know how long I'll last in this situation never thought I'd be here how did I fall so far I'll never show my fear show my desperation I've come along It's a cold gray dawn and I want to give up But you let the light shine through Help me to feel okay Making things work out right Help me to get through the day Searching for stars in the night Maybe they'll show me the way to get through the day Kicking me when I'm down Might make you feel so strong But life has a funny way of coming around I could be down today 
down with that new love I found. It's come a long way down and I can't climb up. And it's a cold gray dawn, but I wanna give up. But you let the light shine through. That's just gorgeous. Oh, and you spoke you. about some of the strong women, and Mary Elms is another one, I think, that you feature. Vicky Phelan, Dervla Murphy, the travel writer, uh, Mary Crilly. Yes. You know, people like that. Yeah, amazing. Yeah. And Mary Crilly has a, a, an initiative now called Safe Gigs. You've probably heard of looking after people at festivals, you know, looking after young women. Uh, who were going to festivals and young men as well yeah. like she's just amazing I mean 40 years ago they were trying to shut her up oh, and sure, they I were it. she was raided by the special branch and now I mean she's got the freedom of the city it's fantastic so things have moved on it's it's brilliant strong like. powerful women yeah so the gig itself then I mean I know that for instance there is a big gig in um, the Cat Club isn't it in Karski on the 28th that's right, right it's so. a show it's kind of it's a show it's my first time now Neil doing something like this this is a kind of a bit of a but there are stories and songs so exactly. are the stories, stories of these women yeah. songs and readings as well so we, there will be four of us on stage and a reader and there's going to be projections done by Cormac O'Connor who's worked with the pantomime and lots of big productions like that um, in other Corkman um, Ethel Crowley is an author and she's doing the readings and we'll have Paul Seymour on piano as well so it's it's a, a kind of a multimedia yeah. type of thing yeah. and it'll be it's kind of it's very interesting do you know? And, uh, you know, because I was, I was thinking recently about this, knowing you were coming in and having read, that's an excellent article in, in the Examiner, incidentally, because it talks about your life and when, when, your children's came al- when your children came along and having to change focus because of kids and then yeah. rearing them and going back again. And, and it's you know, starting again, isn't it? It's I know, like, yeah, but lugging your own gear and your own PA system and oh, having yeah. hassle with dopes who wouldn't pay you and having to yeah. hassle for your money. 
tough, tough life. Tough, it is tough. And it's a gas like I have two daughters and uh, neither of them would ever do it. They're both very talented and they think I was absolutely nuts. They think I'm still nuts doing but, it. But do you think that do you think that females within within music or you know, and that's like television appearances and radio plays, are they getting more of a crack of the whip now? A little bit more, but I mean, sure, there was that survey there only about two years ago uh, that, that showed that airplay was in favour of men by 80%. It was 80-20. Well, there was three... Well, that, the, the organisation, Why Not Her, the That's advocacy it, group yeah. campaigning for women, said that 3% of the top 100 songs played in Irish radio by Irish female artists, it was 3% Jazzy, Amy and Dolores O'Riordan. yeah. N- nothing for people no grassroots people none. and there's so much talent I mean uh, Billy runs a, a thing called the Harbour Lights Songwriter Club and he has get, he's getting so many applications from female singer-songwriters who want to play there so there's loads of them you know and maybe another day we can maybe do some business with Billy you're very silent there with your guitar <laughs> thanks for that I'm trying to go to, I'm going to be very selfish and see if I can get a second song in this side of Brilliant. music that's possible yep. set yourself up then we'll do it after the break Fiona Kennedy and Billy after the break The Neil Prenderville Show on Red FM conversation that matters. The Irish Council Society will contact Ivor in the next hour or so. They have a team that works with homelessness and they will link in with the nurse in the CUH and see if they can make things better. So hopefully we'll updates on that on Monday and they'll be looked after over the weekend and going forward. But I have two sets of tickets to give away for the Saturday night gig which is Fiona Kennedy in the Cork Arts Theatre. Uh, we'll take callers 9 and 10 is for the Saturday gig. If you want to go to either the Saturday gig, there's a gig on the Saturday. The first one is the Thursday, the 28th of March. Next one is Saturday, the 30th of March at 8pm. You can get tickets at fionacannedy.ie. I just want to play out, and I'm tight on time here, so no more of the the chats, I'm afraid, V. So we've got two of them in studio, Fiona Kennedy and Billy Kennedy. No relation. What are you going to play us out with? Something a bit Spanish, is it? Yeah, it's called We Will Dance, inspired by Mary Elms, who saved so many children from the um, the Nazis in the time of the Second World War. I love you and leave you guys. Have a good weekend. See you Monday. In a land far away that we never heard of where it rains every day and the mist travels down the mountain city where the river splits in two and the people sing to you she left it all behind came over here to find we prayed for souls like you because of you we will dance Tap our feet in the palos del flamenco Dance away all the fear Scarlet flash in the gloom of the winter Feel the rhythm lift your soul Taking back the life they stole Risking all you brought us home Because of you we will dance Such a 
woman as you Risking all for a total stranger Your freedom, your life Staring into the face of danger Lines of children filled with fear Heard you calling, please come here And the doors of evil closed Without the ones they chose As you led them safely home Because of you we will dance Stamp our feet in the palos del flamenco Dance away all the fear Scarlet flash in the gloom of the winter Prenderville. On Red FM.